0: The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. Ira Bell, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Back of the Case segment of the Gamekeeper's Cool podcast. I'm pretty sure I said a few weeks ago on our racing episode that that would be the last time I would do this, but uh, fate would have it, I'm back again to uh, record some Back of the Cases here. We're covering nine games today, mostly Legacy Collections, and old-school arcade games brought up to the 21st century, so it's going to be a fun time. Mike and I have a bunch of sweet guests joining the show a bit later, but for now, I'm going to hit the back of the cases of these nine games so that we don't have to do it during the episode, so let's get started on those cases. First up, we have Gauntlet Dark Legacy. One to four-player cooperative action, alone or with up to three of your friends. Embark on a quest to collect the mystic 13 runestones and battle the evil wizard Garm. 60 dangerous levels. Hack and slash your way through the Forsaken Province, Warrior King's Mountain Realm, Dwarf's Ice Caves, and many more. 30 awesome power-ups. Wield the Electric Amulet, Super Shot, Acid Breath, Fire Shield, Thunder Hammer, X-Ray Glasses, and much more. Nintendo GameCube exclusive features, expanded inventory system, stereo sound, higher resolution graphics, and brand new power-ups, available only on the Nintendo GameCube. Make this the best Gauntlet Dark Legacy ever. Next up is Defender. Saving the human race. Only Defender gives you the power to save the human race from the onslaught of an alien invasion. Now the timeless action video game returns, all new and in full 3D with non-stop space combat, strategic gameplay, special weapons, and a ship designed to be an alien's worst nightmare. You are the last line of defense. You are the Defender. Next up is Midway Arcade Treasures. Jam-packed arcade action. Midway Arcade Treasures is jam-packed with over 20 classic arcade games, including all-time favorites, Spy Hunter, Defender, Gauntlet, Joust, and more, for the first time on the Nintendo GameCube system. Next up is Midway Arcade Treasures 2. Own the arcade. Blast into the past with the coolest collection of old-school titles ever to smash out of the vaults at Midway. Rediscover the retro fun of single and multiplayer arcade favorites such as Mortal Kombat 2 and 3, Nark, Gauntlet 2, Pit Fighter, and Spy Hunter 2. It's non-stop game on with hundreds of hours of nostalgia-fueled play and bonus DVD content that features the origins of many of these classic masterworks. And next up is Midway Arcade Treasures 3. That's right, they made three of these things, fuel your racing fever, redline the ultimate collection of arcade racers as you put the pedal to the metal in these 8 high octane coin op classics. Moving over to Namco with Namco Museum. The Nintendo GameCube is getting the classic treatment as an all-new Namco Museum hits home with all the retro gaming goodness that this series is famous for. Only now it's bigger and better than ever. Itching to get your hands on yesteryear's hottest arcade hits? Well look no further as Namco transports you back into the good old days when gameplay was king, no tokens needed. And the second Namco Classic Museum, Namco Museum 50th Anniversary. The ultimate arcade collection, no quarters required. One of these had to be the ultimate arcade collections, I swear to God. It's party time. Namco celebrates 50 years of bringing you the greatest games on the planet by releasing the biggest compilation of all-star arcade classics. Namco Museum 50th Anniversary features 14 of the most treasured Namco original games in arcade history. Moving over to Intellivision Lives. Relive the 80s with Intellivision Lives. Over 60 classic Intellivision games are available all in one package. Your all-time favorite games like baseball, Astro Smash, Space Battles, and more. Favorite games of all time? Alright. Last but not least, we have Pinball Hall of Fame, the Gottlieb Collection. Got crazy flippin' fingers? Relive the days when the pinball table was king, but play like you have unlimited quarters. Pinball Hall of Fame resurrects seven of Gottlieb's greatest pinball machines spanning the 60 years of arcade pinball's golden age. Recreated in a stunning 3D environment, the gameplay, visuals, and sound effects are so authentic you'll feel like you're in a real arcade. You can choose from such classic tables as Ace High, Central Park, Big Shot, Genie, Black Hole, Victory, and Teed Off. Whew, ladies and gentlemen, that was a good last Back of the Case of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on all of these Back of the Case segments. I look forward to reading more Back of the Cases in the coming weeks and years to come, hopefully, of podcasting. But for now, let's go on to future Mike and Neil as they cover these games with their friends on the show. So, Mike and Neil, take it away.
1: The GameCube. GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert.
2: GameCube. GameCube. GameCube.
0: Uh, so anyways, Mike, I've been to six Best Buys today and none of them had a GameCube. I'm just shocked. There's no Black Friday GameCube deals, Neil? Whatever. Yeah, it's not worth it. Black Friday's dead.
3: Black Friday's dead, but we're live,
0: Neil. We are live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Glad that we could get a little insight there on my Black Friday deals. I'm not very good at it, obviously, since I only read (laughs) the news from 20 years ago, and GameCubes are not available anymore, obviously, but we're celebrating something today that's even older than the GameCube. We're celebrating 50 years of some games today, specifically Pong. Uh, This episode today that we're talking about, Mike, is going to be all about legacy games and Pong. One of the very first successful arcade video games was released November 29th,
3: 1972. Can you believe it? That's crazy. I mean, obviously we were not alive to, uh, (laughs) to witness Pong, but it's pretty insane that it's 50 years old. And obviously video games have been around kind of before that. We had the Oregon Trail. Of course, we had a lot of Uh, very early kind of computer games with IBM in like the late 60s. But I'd say Pong is when video games really became like a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Like everyone knows about Pong. Every, like all of our parents, even if they don't play video games, they all know what Pong is. There's a good chance they played Pong at some point Mm -hmm. in bars or arcades or whatever and uh, going to university or stuff like that. So it became a really universal thing with Pong. And it's, it's such a simple... You know, such a simple mechanic. It's just you're bouncing a little ball back back and forth, and that's it. Uh, but mm-hmm. that was kind of the start of everything. And uh, here we are, 50 years later, talking about the GameCube. You're talking about
0: the GameCube. <laughs> and Nintendo's connection with Pong is really interesting, actually. I didn't know this until researching for this show. Uh, Nintendo's very first console was not the NES, and it wasn't the Famicom. It was, a, it was a little plug-and-play kind of console that you would hook up to your TV called the Color right. TV Game 6. And this was basically a clone machine of Pong. It had six versions of Pong that you could play. And that was that <laughs> six was six versions? Six versions of Pong. It was basically like like just different colors, different yeah, backgrounds different or whatever. Colors. It's hey man, sold millions of copies. And sure. that was Nintendo's yeah. kind of one of their first foray into the video game market. Uh, for that was 1977, so that's eight years before the NES would ever come out. Nintendo wow. was playing. Nintendo was a cover band of Atari, which is really funny. <laughs> um, I love history like that. A lot of little weird companies making Atari clones, home consoles. So really neat piece of history. I'm excited to talk more about Pong a little bit later. We're also celebrating Atari's 50th anniversary this year. So video games are getting pretty old, man. It's uh, it's weird to think that we're starting to get to the point where. Almost everybody doesn't remember a time before games, which is, which is neat. Um, Like our kids will probably be that, that like dividing line where it's like, nobody remembers a time before games. So
3: It's true. Yeah. And I mean, we have with Atari, too, with uh, its 50th anniversary, we got the 50th anniversary collection Mm -hmm. that uh, came out. The celebration came out on Switch. So uh, we got a new collection to talk about. We're going to be talking about, obviously, a bunch of collections on this episode, but uh, having a new one out is always nice. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about some of these other collections. But Neil, uh, let's go into the Star Wars news here because Star Wars is not 50 years old no. yet, but um, uh, it did have a new TV series that's been on for the past couple of weeks, Andor, and it just had a season finale. And uh, Neil, what do you think about Andor as a whole in general?
0: I don't know how I feel about it, is my answer <laughs> off the bat. Sure. I liked it. It's weird how I know that this is not the type of Star Wars for everybody. It was not action heavy. It was very slow moving, actually. I even could admit this This episode or this series could have been eight episodes, probably eight tight episodes, because it it definitely overstayed its welcome. You said a couple of weeks, Mike. It's been three months. It's 12 episodes over 12 weeks, and each episode running about 40 minutes to an hour long uh, we went through several different arcs. Like I said, the, there was like a bank heist, there was a prison break, there was a, a, a war on one of these random planets. We won't go too deep into spoilers since we know a lot of listeners haven't seen it yet. So baby spoilers, baby spoilers, little <laughs> tiny bit, bits and pieces here and there. If you've seen yeah. Rogue One, you know how Andor's path ends. So I'm assuming everybody is at least in the know of that, but yeah, it was really interesting to see a Star Wars show that really had almost no fighting in it. Uh, at least no like big grandiose space battles, no lightsaber fights. It was almost like even more subdued than Rogue One was, and it was it was really yeah. neat to see a Star Wars uh show where it was much more political than a lot of the other movies and TV shows I think have been. Uh it was really neat to see the Empire. Like we saw a lot yeah. of the Empire and no Uh, No Palpatine, no Darth Vader, no Sith Lords at all. It was literally just how the Empire operates as as a government. Like, that was really cool. And it was basically like watching all of these actors trying to be Tarkin. um, (laughs) Yes. Peter Cushing. It was really neat, actually. And they all did such a fantastic job. That was one of the things that I liked about this series more than... All of the other Disney shows, I really liked Obi-Wan, obviously, but The Mandalorian and Boba Fett was that I loved all the characters. There were really no characters that I thought were overly weak compared to the other ones. The acting felt way more natural than especially Mandalorian, where I feel like they just got a bunch of people from like a fan expo to play Star Wars characters. This one (laughs) felt like classically trained British actors, which for the most part they were, so the production value felt like it was all there, but... Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was very good. I don't think I needed a season two, which they've obviously they're going to make that. And I think it's slated for 2024. And by then my issue is I know I'm going to have forgotten everything that happened in this series. But Mm -hmm. that's my uh, that's my uh, take quick hot take about Andor. Mike, what about you? What did you think of the series? I don't think we've talked about it much, even offline.
3: No, no, we can we can talk about it live. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I definitely agree with your last point in terms of I I would have liked it to just be all one series rather than yeah wait like yeah. a year and a half to to get another one because I'm you know really invested now because it is. A very good show. I, I was really pleasantly surprised. I didn't think I was going to get into it that much at first. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is Same. interesting." But then as it went on, uh, of course, um, Stellan Star Skarsgård's character, the Luthen, uh, he was really good and interesting in the the whole like. Changing his appearance and Mm -hmm. talking to Mon Mothma and the whole politics. As soon as they started going to the politics stuff, I'm like, okay, I'm actually into this now. Yeah, Because it it did feel like, yeah, everyone's trying to be Tarkin. It felt like that scene, uh, well, a couple scenes in A New Hope when they're all around their big round table and they're talking about... (laughs) Uh, the Senate and everything—the Senate uh, will no longer be an issue to us, you know. Uh, I really love those scenes because, again, that's a whole bunch of classically trained British actors. Well, we're back into it here. Yeah. Uh, the main guy—I don't know what his name is, but like, let's let's just call him the Moth of that group, who's got kind of a bit of the longer white hair. Yep. Uh, he plays uh, Harold Macmillan, the Prime Minister in uh, *The Crown*. I think it's seasons two and three, I forget what seasons, but he's very good in that. And Mm -hmm. so as soon as I saw him here, I was like, Oh, Hey, I know this guy. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and there's a couple other, uh, actors from the crown and there's other actors from just British TV shows, from game of Thrones, from, uh, uh, Dr. Who there's like a lot of different actors that I, I recognize from other things doing bit parts and it definitely makes the world come alive so much more. Also, I love the fact that the woman who plays Mon Mothma is the same woman who played her in Rogue One and also played her in Episode Three, which is actually really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that they're bringing in some of the characters from the movies into these shows too. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is back as well. Yeah. Uh, he, he was in Rogue One only. Very small role in this show. I thought they could have had him come back a little bit more considering he does have a pretty prominent position on the poster for the show. Um, So that was kind of weird to me. I did like the Mon Mothma stuff. Uh, I would have preferred to have more of her and not like more scenes. I just mean have her do something else. Cause I feel like it was 12 weeks of watching her trying to money launder and it was getting,
4: <laughs> sure, it was getting sure. a little
0: bit irritating, like how much yep. she was just lamenting about, I know she also had her daughter and everything. And I'm kind of excited to see what is going to happen with all that. It's kind of yeah. neat to see like she has a family, which we didn't know anything about that in the uh, original trilogy. So I like that they're fleshing out that character because she's really neat and she's a great actress. So like I said, like, I am excited now for Andor 2, but I just feel like it's mm-hmm. too far out. And I was thinking, like, okay, this is going to be one series, 12 weeks, perfect. Like, we're going to get eight hours of uh, of Andor, and we're going to see how he finds K2SO, like, how he gets to the planet that we see him on Rogue One on. Because it's going to get to the point now where he's going to look too old to continue into yeah, know, right? Rogue One. It's going to be weird, but...
3: We'll have to wait and see. Also going to give a shout out to Andy Circus who yes. absolutely carried uh, the prison episode. That was the oh, highlight of the God. show for me, for sure. The highlight definitely was the prison scenes. That was awesome. That was fantastic. He just like, he's like, oh yeah, I can do this. I'll just turn this <laughs> up to 11 and... And yeah. I, honestly, I think because there are so many good actors on set, it's one of those things like if you're around good people, you're going to make, you're going to also have good performances. Yeah. And like it's, it's definitely a product of that. It was so cool to finally get like,
0: I mean, we already kind of knew where the Empire got all their resources. Like they steal, they, they, they have labor camps and everything. It was really cool to see the inside of one of these prisons too. Like they're all trapped there. They're held there against their will. They're making this piece that we have no idea what the heck they were even making. You have to assume it had maybe something to do with the. Death Star but that's never really explained and also another quick shout out about Andy Serkis he's now been in every franchise basically he's been in Lord of the Rings Star Wars Marvel and DC so he's really like the ultimate crossover character now uh, well
3: technically he was already in Star Wars with uh, Snoke oh true yeah that's yeah. right
0: yeah they brought him back again again i forgot see i yeah. forgot about stuff. that whole trilogy yeah, i've forgotten everything <laughs> <laughs> i've forgotten yeah, absolutely fine. everything about that series but yeah really excited for for andor disney they always kind of surprise me where the shows that i think i'm gonna like i i don't and then the shows that i think i'm gonna not like i i end up liking them a little bit yeah obviously obi-wan was the, or kenobi was the outlier there we knew we were gonna love it and we did so two good star wars shows in one year and we're getting some pretty decent animated stuff i think um so yeah i mean overall star wars having a pretty decent year but anyways mike i think that it's time that we move into our patreon topic of the day what do you think yeah let's do it neil all right ladies and gentlemen remember if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com forward slash the gamecube is cool all patrons at the five dollar level get their name read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic just like aj olson 11 did today aj olson 11 says hey guys wanted to submit an opening topic for an upcoming episode. I want to play a game called Play One, Remake One, Erase One, GameCube Edition. I'm going to give you guys three games and you have to decide which one you want to keep how it is on the GameCube, have one remade and playable on today's hardware, and then the last one will be erased from time, never having existed. There's obviously never a wrong answer, but I'm interested to see your selections. So, the three games uh, AJ Olsen has selected for us are Star Fox Adventures, Wario World, and Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg. So Mike, I'll uh, kick it
3: over to you. What games do you want to play, remake, and erase from existence? Ooh, great question, AJ. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we d- we actually did this kind of on a. It might have been the 50th episode or something. I think I like played this game. No, no, it was for the interviews. It was when I interviewed ne- you. Oh Neil. yeah, I remember. I, I play. I played this F Mary Kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's the one. I'm, yeah, I like this stuff. This is cool. Yeah, but luckily I did not talk about any of these games, so this works out pretty well. Um, I would keep. Wario World because it's a great game uh it it could get a remake but I think of these it's the one I would least want to be remade I think it's just a really good game on GameCube as it is uh for remaking though I think Star Fox Adventures is my remake choice and I say that because this game had so much more potential to be just a good Star Fox game and then Nintendo kind of muddied in to Rare's ongoings and was like, hey, let's put Dinosaur Planet and Star Fox together and make a game. And obviously didn't work great. It's still a good game as we discovered uh, over 100 episodes ago, but it's not a great star Fox game. So I think it would be really cool to see this remade to a proper kind of Star Fox game, maybe take out some of the the land cruising or make it better. Um, and for erasing, it's got to be Billy Hatcher. Uh, I just, I like the idea of Billy Hatcher. I just don't care about Billy Hatcher. Yeah. Uh, I'll just go play it the Dreamcast instead. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. That, that's,
0: those are some good choices. These are kind of tricky because they're not like... Big triple A uh, GameCube mm-hmm. games, really. I mean, Star Fox Adventures is a close one. Warrior World should have been. Billy Hatcher is like a third-party game exclusive, I suppose, for the GameCube. So it's a really mm-hmm. weird mix. So I, I like this one. It's not like Metroid Prime, Sunshine, and
3: yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you pick some games
0: off the beaten path. So I do appreciate that. I would have to go with let's let's uh, let's keep Star Fox Adventures where it is. Um, Mm -hmm. like you said, I think Star Fox Adventures is a cool GameCube game. I think it's fine on the GameCube. I don't need it to be remade. I also don't want it to be erased because it still is like we said on that episode. It's a good game. It's just not a good Star Fox game. I would prefer Nintendo don't remake it because I don't want them to show that game or franchise any more attention. Let's go back (laughs) to the classic Star Fox, uh, formula. So it's fine on GameCube. I like it there. Glad people like it. It gets a lot of love on most people's top 10 list. So perfect. Mm -hmm. Next up for Remake, I'd have to go... I think we're going to have the same list, actually. I'm going to have to go Wario World. Like, I, I love Wario World. I love the Wario Land games, the 2D ones. I I appreciate how much love WarioWare games get recently. Every Nintendo yeah. console, basically since the Game Boy Advance, has had a WarioWare game. But the Wario World franchise has really fallen by the wayside. So uh, I don't think Nintendo's going to make a new one anytime soon. So I think a Remake is probably the best bet that we possibly have um Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a good looking game on gamecube i think it would be even better on switch in hd maybe just update some of the uh some of the combat because it's a little bit button mashy so i think uh, i think nintendo could do some good stuff with that maybe with their buddies over at platinum they can make a really cool fast and kinetic wario (laughs) game i think that'd be really fun that would be awesome and then uh yeah delete billy hatcher from existence i've never actually fully played that game so i could erase it from my mind and not really notice anything had different had happened um sega have Mm -hmm obviously made different games since then. They seem to be really leaning into their, uh, their Sonic games for whatever reason. So I'm just going to let them keep making bad Sonic games and, uh, we'll leave Billy Hatcher, uh, in the dust. Unfortunately, didn't really need to exist back in the day. And, uh, Unfortunately, it won't exist in my uh, world where I erased it <laughs> from existence either. So that's really good. Thank you so much, AJ Olson, for that uh, that fantastic opening topic. That's a good one for for uh, future use too. I think we should keep bringing this back as a, a reoccurring segment. I'm gonna I'm gonna back pocket that one. Sure, I like it. All right, cool. <laughs> but with that, Mike, I think that it's time that we finally jump into today's episode. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 121 of the GameCube is Cool podcast, new episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 531 games. There's 24 more games to go. You can visit the to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. After it got laid off from Atari. Oh, yeah. They laid off a lot of people. You've been working there since uh, 83? (laughs) That's right. Yeah, good time to start. (laughs) (laughs) Great time to start in the video game industry. Last week, we talked about Mega Man games on the GameCube and a whole bunch of other Mega Man memories with our friend GameCube Galaxy. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're talking all about legacy games on the GameCube. What do we mean by legacy games, you may be asking yourself? Well, legacy games are basically the collection of games that were uh, video games from the past brought forward to current generations. Uh, The Mega Man collections, technically what we talked about last week, also kind of count as legacy games, but we wanted to give Mega Man his own episode, of course. So today we're going to be talking about Midway collections, Namco, and Crave, or Intellivision, from the arcade era. So these are very important video games in... uh, in the history of gaming from the 70s and 80s in arcades and eventually home consoles and if you grew up in the 2000s these these collections were all over a lot of handheld consoles actually like Game Boy advance and ds but they obviously popped up on gamecube so mike what what's your history with the video game collections of legacy games
3: when uh, we shall also say that's not just collections. We'll be talking about a couple just very old games that mm. uh, got remade or put back on to the GameCube, like uh, Defender and uh, Gauntlet Dark Legacy. So mm-hmm. those will be coming up quite soon. But uh, yeah, my experience with... Like collections, uh, I guess the only thing I can think of would be the Zelda collection that I had okay. uh, for the GameCube that came with it when I got my GameCube for Christmas in 2003. It was a collection I've talked about a little bit on this podcast before, but it was a collection of Zelda titles from the past that had Link, uh, I think it had Zelda 1, 2, mm-hmm. Ocarina, and Majora's Mask, and then a very long demo of uh, Wind Waker. Right. Uh, so it, it, that was kind of the first instance of me being able to play like an old school game, I guess, on a, a modern console. But I would also even go back to like the Game Boy Advance as a like legacy uh, come machine, yeah, very because much. there were so many SNES games that were put on the Game Boy Advance, uh, basically as they were on the SNES. Uh, and that was a really, really cool thing to do from a, a, a marketing point of view and just from Nintendo's point of view there because, like, for me, I, I didn't grow up with a SNES. I was too young, of course, so I got to experience all these amazing games like Yoshi's Island, Super Mario World. I got to experience them on a Game Boy Advance, which, for me, is actually even more fun playing them on there and playing them uh, portably than it is playing it on a SNES, honestly, for me. Hmm. But, um, uh, so in that sense, I guess that that's another kind of legacy world that I grew up with a lot because most of my games on the Game Boy Advance were legacy games. And, right. uh, I mean, I guess we could talk a little bit about arcades. You and I have talked about this already before how we, we did play, uh, you know, some arcades back in the day at palladium and, sure. and, and other places <laughs> like that. I never really played a lot of these, uh, kind of standard games. Most of the games that I would play were things like uh, NBA Jam, the sports mm-hmm. games, uh, TMNT, playing turtles in time all the time, uh, the golf games, of course. The one game I would say that I did have like a legacy edition of, of on the Game Boy Advance again was the original Space Invaders. Oh, cool! And I played that. That's I. That's probably the first game I ever got, and I think my dad got it for me because he played Space Invaders all the time, uh, <laughs> and I still love Space Invaders to this day because of that. Space Invaders is great. I don't know if you've have you been to the Dave and Buster's uh,
0: where we used to live in Mississauga.
3: Yeah, they all have it. All the Dave and Buster's have that.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Physically, the biggest arcade at uh, or the arcade game at Dave and Buster's, at least the ones in uh, in Toronto, are are Space Invaders, and it's like this giant like what like ten foot tall screen that you shoot at. Like you physically have a gun, and it's more of like a pointer control game, I think. Um, I played it a lot and that's a fun game, actually. That's a really cool, just a cool take. I like, I like these modern takes on classic games. Like every tennis game is basically just Pong. Um, Pac-Man 2, like there's different types of Pac-Man games there. So all of these old arcade games still live on. They're just different now. They've all been updated. But you're totally right. The Game Boy Advance was just a legacy machine, not not just with SNES games, but with collections of different games. I remember when I was in high school, I forget who it was, but he gave me like a, a little baggie of like Game Boy Advance games. He did not want them anymore. Uh, and one <laughs> of them was just like this game. It had three games on it. It was um, it was Pong and Asteroids and there was a third one on there. I can't remember what it was. It might've been Centipede or something. It was some random sure. just tri- trilogy of arcade games. And that was the only real experience I ever had with these types of things on a console, it's kind of weird because the 2010s are really the breaking off point of when these collections were really relevant anymore because all of these games could easily be emulated on phones and yeah. uh, laptops and everything. And even now today, like, they're even less... It's, it's kind of surprising that Atari put out a giant collection just recently. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly. Like, why is this not just... It, on the nintendo streaming service or on playstation like as a free download for the month or something like it's really weird how they're selling it as a full price game in today's uh today's market of just downloadable games and everything being so accessible and that's really my first experience with a lot of these games is on the computer in our comp tech class actually mike in in, uh grade (laughs) 12 i don't i don't know if you remember this but on the apple computers that we had maybe apple computers still have this i'm i'm really out of the loop but widgets Do you remember those? those Yeah, I know what you're
3: talking about. Yeah, still a thing.
0: Yeah, okay. I remember everybody or at least the group of guys who didn't want to do any work. We had a collection (laughs) of widgets on our computers that you would just hit the button on it and then your screen just became basically an arcade where yeah, it, was, it was fun <laughs> It was amazing like and you know you get your 10 minutes of work done and now you have 65 minutes to play i downloaded all of these games man i downloaded asteroids space invaders pong pac-man even snake and i would just like i, was gonna say, I played snake all the time that yes. was that was mine oh, snake was snake was dope and i remember there was another like like another like version of snake where you could play with four people and like you would screw each other over and stuff that was so much fun um but yeah that's really where I, I played it most most of these games in high school on my yeah. apple computer uh when i shouldn't have been playing them but still like i loved it it was so cool having like this little customized arcade space uh right there on my computer so yeah that's where i that's where i kind of land with uh, with these arcade collections so i think that it's time that we bring our first guest onto the show today mike who's joining us today
3: All right, Neil, joining us, our first guest of the show is friend of the show, Luigi. He has been on many times before. We're really happy to have him back on. He's, of course, uh, has his own podcast, has Chat of the Wild, which is a fantastic podcast, has Remember 64 with our friend of the show, Dave, from uh, back in my day. So we got a lot to talk about with Luigi today, mostly these arcade games from back in the day. So that brings us to our first question, which would be, what is your favorite arcade game of all time?
1: I usually go with Robotron twenty eighty
3: four. Ooh, I like that. Uh,
1: Sweet. it's just simple like it's like the original dual stick shooter. It's just fun. Every time I've played it, I've had a good time and it, it kills the crap out of me. But it's just great. I love that game. Now where did you play that like like, like growing up? That would have been at it wasn't the laundromat. Um <laughs> there was a there was like one at, I think it was at Castleton. I don't know. There was a mall that like I was barely allowed to go into the smoky. It, it was smoke filled. Like people were just smoking cigarettes up in there.
3: Ah, uh, miss good old, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the first time I ever saw it, and it was just cool as hell. And I don't think I even got to play it until I was older. But like it transfixed me in a way that i can't explain i think a game that i've probably sunk the most hours into and Mm -hmm. is like my favorite would be nba jam me too
3: me too yeah
1: but there's just like i've always been just enthralled by 2084 i always thought it was like the coolest thing i'd ever seen and like when geometry wars came out i was like yes like this is what i'm talking about like this is the kind (laughs) of cool older game like smash they made smash tv which is also in one of these collections Mm -hmm. which is kind of the same thing
3: it Arcade cabinets are so interesting in like that sense because you're, especially as a kid, you're so drawn towards them. Like they they worked so hard to make the artwork and like just the cabinets themselves kind of mm-hmm. flashy. Because for mm-hmm. one, there was about a thousand arcade cabinets in usually in an arcade or in a mall somewhere, and you kind of had to make it stand out. And two, the graphics on screen weren't very good <laughs> for that right. time, so you kind <laughs> of had need to make some help. Yeah, you needed some help, so you kind of had to make these beautiful art pieces almost um i know neil has for his birthday years ago i got him a kind of super famicom encyclopedia of all the box arts uh from over the years and the same company who makes that also made one of all the kind of arcade tiles i don't know what you would call them but the, 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 the big panels panels yeah the, yeah the yeah. side
1: yeah yeah the cabinet
3: yeah, and they they made the same book with that, and like the artwork is just astounding. Like it's just it's it's a it's honestly an art form in itself making those things.
1: I mean, it's, especially some of those early Atari ones, because like, I mean, those people. We're having a good time while they were designing those cabinets. So The
0: art on some of those games, though, is borderline false advertising, like what yeah. they're showing you do and what you actually do in the games, like That's fighting the a dragon on a mountain. It's like, this isn't even happening in this game. I don't know what you're talking about. This is a 10-minute run-and-gun shooter. What the hell is this dragon doing on here? But it's funny to like look at old cabinets like Pong which is basically made out of like a tree stump like there's nothing on it it's just wood (laughs) yeah when like everything you know in the 70s was made of wood and eventually the cabinets and box art video games in the 80s especially look fantastic and i feel like we've gone back like gone away from that quite a bit like video game box art is pretty much dead unfortunately but uh yeah yeah, i love
3: that book that doesn't inform the purchase Mm -hmm. yeah anymore it's true the
1: which is yeah because like you know especially if uh, let's talk about pong those things were made out of wood most of them are counterfeit those cabinets yep. um atari did not make the vast majority of the ones that are out there yeah like with with atari like home games the 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 cover helped inform what you were looking at <laughs> right on the screen <laughs> yeah you needed yep. that um and yeah with some early arcade games as well
3: But speaking of early arcade games, let's jump into our first collection here, Neil, uh, with the Pinball Hall of Fame.
0: All right, sounds good. Pinball Hall of Fame, the Gottlieb collection, was released on March 20th, 2005. There's 19 games to go. Developed by Farsight Studios, published by Crave. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Wii, and the PSP. Rates a 6.5 out of 10, priced today at around $20, and this is a pinball sim and it's uh, simulating all of the gottlieb uh, american arcade cabinet cor- uh, corporation based in chicago illinois they were a pinball making company founded in 1927 they went f- defunct back in 1996 and this is literally just a package of all of the tables or at least a lot of the tables from back in the day um, the table specifically, you've got Ace High from 1957, Big Shot from 1973, Central Park 1966, Genie 1979, Black Hole in 1981, Victory in 1987, Teed Off in 1993, as well as a few other games too that uh, Gottlieb made that weren't pinball really at all. But, uh, Luigi, we brought you on today to talk about, uh, your memories and experience with this game. So, uh, what, what brought you to the Pinball Hall of Fame on GameCube?
1: Uh, it is the pinball indoctrination I received as a child uh I was taught a lot about the about how pinball went down and Gottlieb was always considered like like they weren't like the Cadillac but they were like prestige like you knew a Gottlieb game would, would maybe not be as exciting but it would still like you know play well um feel good. Um they're they're super important like going way way back to kind of yeah bringing you would call them like games of chance it would it's almost like plinko mm-hmm. or your ball stops mm-hmm. on a on like a hole on the table and that hole has a point next to it and like you add it up like on a notepad on the side um, but that got into gambling real quick, yeah. not with Gottlieb, but people started doing payout machines, counting your score. But the the big thing is that with this this style of game that they kind of didn't create but kind of perfected and made exciting, Williams <laughs> gets involved and makes their first table. Whereas before, I think Williams was just buying, and distributing pinball pin games, and they they decide that they could just retrofit bad pin games for cheap and make their own. So they get involved in the industry. Mm. Uh, Bally gets involved, starting to make these things because I think they were already making slot machines or something. Bally's kind of a, a skeezy company um, historically, but uh, <laughs> um, but they they kind of create this <laughs> this fad. Which, whether it's for money or not, um, Gottlieb sort of pioneers this and other people really make more of the other than the flipper, other than the (laughs) flipper, which Gottlieb is credited as creating. Um, But that was a way to get them out of hot water by people calling it gambling. And so they're like, we need to create something. And so they created the flipper out of the necessity to be taken seriously as not being taken seriously. <laughs> it's like, we're just a game, you uh, you know, a sk- game of skill. Right. That's interesting. Huh.
3: Yeah, I actually didn't know that. That's... Uh... Uh, we're learning today, Neil. Learning a
1: lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pinball was illegal in New York huh. until the, like into the nineteen seventies. Wow. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: Like some of some of the not necessarily pinball tables, but machines that are in in this package. You've also got like a fortune teller machine, a love testing machine, which aren't even really games. But there's also one specific device in here called the Playboy which is from 1932. It predates the magazine. So like when I saw this, it's not what it's out. No, it's not. (laughs) The magazine wouldn't come out for another 30 or 20 years after. So the Playboy magazine was founded in 1953. So this was a game that came out 21 years before that, but it's basically a pinball machine, but it it doesn't look like a standard pinball machine. And it's, it's a card gambling game. Like Luigi said, how like a lot of these tables were considered gambling back in the day, they had to make a bit more of a gamified table out of it. And that's how we have the pinball machines that we know and love today Mm. and that we, you know, Mike and I especially played on Microsoft Windows back in the day, that classic pinball table there on our on computer. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) That table is one of the best pinball tables ever. But, uh, no, this is a really neat collection of – pinball machines pinball is one of my favorite arcade games to every time i go to an arcade i try and find the one or two pinball machines that they may have sometimes Mm -hmm. you go to one like dave and busters they never have pinball and it sucks um but sometimes you go to uh, other places and they do have them which this game actually captures that feeling of walking up to a pinball table so well which is just the lights the sounds like we talked about with arcade cabinets how you really had to do that i love the sound of a pinball table starting up and the soundtrack starting and the sound that the ball makes when it's rolling along the wood like this game actually like all of those sound effects are there the intro music and the announcer in the game is also amazing like when you start the game up you feel like you're in a pinball arcade from the 70s and everything yeah uh the frame rate like everything looks so smooth like the ball is the ball animation is right right on there so uh this is a terrific package like this really gave me vibes of that game uh, pool paradise that mike and i covered like a year ago
3: yeah, it's very. So that's the. I thought this exact <laughs> same thing, and because that uh, pool paradise does it really well too, and they add extra games like skee ball yes. uh, in there as well that kind of go into that category. But even like the reflection on the machines <sighs> themselves is so amazing. Like I was just like, wow, that's really really cool. Mm. Yeah, it's tough having
1: a uh, video game equivalents of pinball. Um, like my dad had a a program. I don't remember what it was called, but. It was like very tried to be realistic about it, and so like the fact that they put care into this and spent time, um, which is not something I would expect from basically <laughs> someone who owns an IP. They just own Gottlieb's it's like a dead stuff. IP. Yeah, yeah. Like Gottlieb doesn't really exist at, anymore at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm almost surprised that Qbert is not in here. <laughs> Qbert is a Gottlieb <laughs> game. Oh,
3: I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah,
1: um, so like that—that's kind of funny to me. I—I uh, I do also want to say Gottlieb never made payout tables. Uh, the ghost of Mister David Gottlieb, uh, I believe, uh, would would like me to say that <laughs> he was very much against payout tables. He, which is what pushed him to make you know, or at least them to innovate. Hmm. So yeah. Do you own a pinball table? I do not. No, that's like my one. Of, that's like one of
0: my dream things to own is a pinball table.
3: I want the Star Trek pinball table because I played one at... Uh, I used to work in an office that had a pinball table. Oh, yeah, that was and, a good one. And uh, it was, yeah, it was Star Trek-themed, and I got but really it good at it. Was the Next
1: Generation one?
3: Uh... It's no, it's like the new movies oh, one. Like, that so one's like, still pretty good, though. I like that one. It's very good, yeah. And like getting it into the enterprise and then choosing your missions and everything, like it was pretty high tech for a pinball <laughs> uh, table. And I, I, I loved it and I got pretty good. I got my name on it. I mean, like, you know, it just was the people working there who had their names <laughs> on it. But still, uh, the, the one thing with pinball, and like I, I saw it with like this game, watching some long plays. I forgot how long pinball can be yep. if you if you get a streak going. Like you can be there for if an hour mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, if you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Cause pinball is a lot of skill. There is obviously you know a good chunk of luck that comes with it. Like if you just get a really bad draw and if it just falls right down and and sewers on you. But there's also like just uh, trying to figure out kind of what your best combos are, how to get free balls. It's it's mm-hmm. funny because it is like gambling a little bit in that sense. Like it's a lot of luck, but there's strategy behind it.
1: And, and I think another thing that makes uh, it somewhat tough to get into is that each table has objectives that it wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know much about that, it's tough to like parse that kind of information. Um, even for you know, if you do, like walking up to a table for the first time, to get good at a pinball table, you're gonna have to just play that table for a while. Yep. And yep. figure out what it wants from yeah, it's, you. It's
3: like playing a game yeah. with no tutorial. <laughs> just like
1: <laughs> Right. And like when you're a kid, when you walk
0: up to a pinball table, your your only real objective that you're trying to do is to just keep the ball active. Like you're trying not to sink. Exactly, (laughs) rocking the table or anything you have to do, like to keep the ball out of the gutter, is basically all you're trying to do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like with what you need, like a manual or some kind of a cutscene
3: to tell you what to do in the game. I wish you could rock the table in, in, in the collection, just like a button. That was one of the things. Like,
0: like that'd be sweet. Like if you like, obviously, with the GameCube controller, it didn't have the uh, the gyroscopic motion in it or anything. But maybe the Wii version, <laughs> right. you could have done that. Like shake the controller to wiggle the table or whatever. Because that oh, is gosh. like a strategy that some pinball players will do. Is they rock the table and we'll like that would have been a cool oh, feature yeah. to have, to have done. Um, another thing that would have been cool to have added uh, to this game that I thought was kind of missing, which would have been neat, would have been like footage or commercials of old pinball machines and arcades. Mm-hmm uh like just to see these old advertisements like from the 50s and 60s when these tables were basically the the video game equivalent of like what was being put into arcades it would have been neat to have seen like like very primitive footage obviously because we didn't have home video yet or anything like that but like just black and white you know footage of people playing arcade or playing pinball back in the day would have been really cool to see um but still like this is a pretty neat sim for a for a pinball machine and it's the only one on on gamecube unless there's some pinball in the uh, in Pool Paradise, this is pretty much it. Not none to be had in the Midway one,
1: though, right?
3: No, none to be had in Midway. So why don't we move on to the Midway collections, Neil? What do you think?
1: I think I think a, a good segue for that is that we we talked about the electromechanical games on Gottlieb, with like the uh, the Love Tester and stuff <laughs> like that, and Bally, which is Bally Midway, because they eventually bought Midway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bally did that. They made pinball, and they also made gambling machines, Um, and Midway did mostly pinball and electromechanical games. And so these are like shooting range things or, I don't know, just all sorts of weird stuff that you could make solid-state electronics do, which um, Gottlieb was definitely behind the times in that. Like They were still making wooden tables. They were hesitant to move on to just even implementing electricity, whereas uh, Bally and Williams were were on that from the get go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they they sort of created this distribution network, and that's like you know people that give jukeboxes, pinball machines, electromechanical games, just weird stuff. But Bally Midway rose as a huge name um, throughout. Pinball and just you know coin-operated machinery.
0: Sweet. <gasps> all right. Well, then let's introduce the uh, Midway games that we're going to talk about today. We have three to cover, so let's let's just uh, hit all of the stats now, and then we'll talk about them all at the same time. Starting with Midway Arcade Treasures, which was released on December 18th, 2003. Developed by Digital Eclipse, published by Midway. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Rates a 7.5 out of 10. priced today at around thirty dollars. This is a single player and an arcade. Multiplayer compilation. Uh, then we had Midway Arcade Treasures 2, released on October 11, 2004. Developed by Backbone Entertainment, published by Midway. It's on PS2 and Xbox. Rates a 7 out of 10. Priced today at around $35. And it's another single player slash multiplayer arcade compilation then we had midway arcade treasures 3 which was released on october 26th 2005 developed yet again by backbone entertainment and midway games published by midway games obviously also on ps2 and xbox rates a 6.5 out of 10 price today at around 50 dollars and this is pretty much straight up a racing game so we have a whole bunch of midway I mean, arcade games 6. on 6.5 uh, The the emulation
1: better be awful because I'm looking at this list right now and there aren't as many games but wow. You got San Francisco Rush the Rock Alcatraz Edition Yeah. That was at a Chuck E. Cheese for years and into like high school. If I got dragged there because my little brothers were way younger than me uh, I was okay with getting dragged to Chuck E. Cheese if there was something going on because I knew I could $10 $10 and sit down at that Rush the Rock machine at a quarter a time? Are you kidding me? Gosh. <laughs> Hydro Thunder is on here. I, that's all I have to say. Like, come on. 6.5? Come on.
0: San Francisco Rush are the ones that I remember, but I – I think that the reason why, I don't know if this is a reason why, but uh, one thing to consider is that these aren't uh, the arcade versions. They're based on the console ports, so the Dreamcast versions. Mm. I don't know if there's any mm. major differences between what you played at Chucky e. Charles Entertainment Cheese <laughs> or uh, what you played at home on your uh, Sega Dreamcast, but uh, that, that could have been the difference.
1: Yeah, it, if the emulation sucks, that is, that is the only way I will forgive a 6.5. Um, there's some decent racing games on here yeah okay so Mm -hmm. so why i wanted to leave with gottlieb is because all of their competitors eventually coagulated into midway (laughs) 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 that's that's kind of the big important thing uh williams games are in here bally's games are here uh midway's 80s arcade games are here that volume one is mostly the golden age arcade games volume two is the Late '80s arcade games, and then Volume Three is like the racing games from the '90s. Right. I forget is like Mortal Kombat in here. Yeah. Okay. So there is some stuff from yep. the '90s on on Volume Two, but yeah, it's the later stuff. Um, a lot of Volume One is like Golden Age arcades. Uh, I guess there's some late '80s on there. Tubin doesn't count. Tubin. <laughs> fine, I guess.
0: The first collection was very successful. It sold more than a million copies across all of its all of its what four platforms, and it, it had 24 arcade games in it from 1980 to 1990. I'm not gonna read them all, but they are there are a couple of games here that we've talked about on this show that eventually made it onto GameCube some years later, like Spy Hunter and Rampage and, and plus we're gonna be talking about Defender later and Gauntlet, of course. So Marble Madness is a game that still exists to this day. Oh, yeah. pa- Paperboy mm-hmm. is a game that existed on the NES, I think, and like that game was kind of a big deal. So there's a lot of like random little games in here. Yep. Joust is another big game from the uh Ooh, the yeah. arcade, the golden era of Ooh. the arcades. So yeah, this collection was a really big deal when it uh, when it came out, and it sold particularly well, which also led to two more of these arcade treasures. Yeah, like it, it's a really neat uh, collection. So, uh, Luigi, did you pick this game up back in the day? Then, like, it sounds like you've always been a bit of like an arcade fan.
1: I I have just played lots, and I I don't know. I did not. I did not own this collection. I've just played every single one of these arcade cabinets. Yeah, fair. <laughs> you Sorry. don't need a collection Sorry. to do it. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So, it, it, like. All of these games are amazing. Uh, I don't know about Clacks. I don't know. Clax is fine. <laughs> Marble Madness. The guy who made Marble Madness is the guy who dev- like made the PS4 and the PS5. Yeah, Marble
0: Madness is a great series.
1: Yeah, and it has a lot of interesting like starts to like um a
3: Super Monkey Ball. Basically, that's why Super Monkey Ball mm. came from was Marble Madness. Mm. Uh, it's uh yeah, there's RoboTron 2084 for you there too, Luigi. Yep. Uh, <laughs> mm. Good to see you there. I, was
1: say, I like that you picked out Rampage and. Uh did you say Spy Hunter? Spy Hunter? Yeah. yeah. Because uh Spy Hunter is wait, is that also Midway? Yes. yes okay, it so yeah. Ruper Tapper is like the one good bally game. Rampage and Spy Hunter are like Midway is like only two good arcade games from the eighties, <laughs> like themselves. <laughs> yeah before they bought all these companies in the nineties. I gotta ask what Rupeer Tapper is, because that's one of the few here that I got no <laughs> idea. Could you could you explain that one to me? So Root Beer Tapper is a game where there are four bars, basically. Uh, and there are four kegs. And you are filling up like these giant kegs on the wall. You're filling up Root Beer and sliding them to a patron uh, who's coming down each one of the bars. When the patron gets the beer, they turn around, Root Beer, they turn around and go the other way. Uh, but then their empty glass comes in. and You have to grab that, too. So you're trying to keep okay. these people, fend these people off. Also grab the dirty dishes. Um, oh, so it's the
0: drinking I, version of Overcooked. Yeah, I was going to
1: say a little Overcooked <laughs> style, you know, yeah. older, older version of Oldercooked. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, okay. okay, My local barcade is named after, uh, it's named Tappers after this game. So.
3: Oh, that's awesome. Okay, yeah, I, I never, that's, that's one of the few ones I never heard of before. And I was like, okay, I guess they had to put Root Beer on there so they didn't get an M yeah. rating. <laughs> uh,
0: an M rating, though, that's interesting, though, because the second Midway Arcade Treasures uh, game that came out is rated M, Mike. Believe it or not, I they, saw they, that. Why? Yeah. So the collection's rated M mainly because of Mortal Kombat two and Mortal three.
3: Uh, okay, that you know what? That's the very easy answer. But there's yeah, also yeah.
0: there's also a game on here called Narc N A R C, and I'm sure Luigi, you might know a bit more about this than me. But I I was like, what the? Heck? I've never even heard of this game, and it's a 1988 run and gun arcade game. Yeah. It was one of the first ultra violent video games, and a frequent target for a parental. Uh, criticism in the video game industry which was a big deal back in the 80s and 90s and the objective of the game is to arrest and kill drug offenders confiscate their money drugs and defeat mr big who's like the big bad guy Ah. it looks like a ton of fun but uh, (laughs) a lot of blood and gore and shooting and everything so because of those three games the second collection was rated m for mature Mm -hmm. yeah i think
1: uh i don't i don't remember if narc specifically got brought up at the hearings uh but <laughs> yeah like narc's narc's wild if it didn't it's because you were cops in the game and that's why it didn't get mm. brought up but still lethal enforcer gun so that you're a cop and lethal enforcers so
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: um but yeah i don't eh, i've never been a big fan of narc i don't know
3: any any of these on here that you you really really enjoy on the second collection uh for me personally obviously the mortal Kombat's rampage world tour is a ton of fun i love all the rampage games uh but for most of them i actually don't know a lot of these uh games i i never you know i i didn't grow up with these games either uh but there's a couple that looked interesting to me pit fighter cyberball 2072 even uh Mm -hmm. uh the even uh what's it called uh oh no total carnage i know but uh even apb i didn't know what that one was either
1: yeah apb is kind of kind of weird it's yeah just <laughs> pulling pe- giving people tickets and stuff like <laughs> yeah. it, i was like it's what fun. is this I, I don't know it's just kind of wacky and weird yeah. and i like it yeah um championship sprint's also pretty great uh super sprint is on The NES, and I had that growing up. And then we had a championship sprint at like a pizza place, like all through the 90s. They just had it and took care of it. Uh, They also had a spy hunter machine on the other side that they did not take care of and was, (laughs) was dead for like four or five years and just sat there. I mean, we could definitely talk about Original Gauntlet because I love that game. Um, grew up with that, which, where that is just any, any NES game where you can play it with someone at the same time was just the best for me. So I tend to have, you know, look back on those very fondly and gauntlet is definitely that way, especially once gauntlet, uh, legends came out, um, in the nineties as an arcade machine and like, just that was everywhere, like as Midway, like that was just everywhere that game. (laughs) Now I also um, and, like
3: in in these midway collections that there's actually like kind of behind the scenes almost of some of these games. Uh like the story behind Robotron, for example. There's like rare mm-hmm. games from Williams. Uh talking about no. how a bug becomes
1: a strategy. Or or like uh like okay, so if we want to talk about like Williams is my favorite arcade developer, hands down. Mm-hmm. They are my favorite uh pinball machine manufacturer, hands down. They you know, they made Joust, Defender, Robotron, um, Made interesting games, not many of them, but like Defender is still considered one of the most like difficult, complex arcade games of all time. Uh, Joust is so good that Nintendo or HAL was like, let's make Balloon Fight. And it's just right. Joust.
3: Oh, yeah. True. I, I didn't think about that.
1: It, oh, I love Joust so much because I love Balloon Fight so much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> is is William still around? I don't hear their name pop up too often.
1: Um they like owned stuff maybe, okay. but <laughs>
3: so they're like Atari.
1: <laughs> they own laundromats now. <laughs> Technically during this they they owned all of this. They they probably now by this point I don't know. <laughs> they were using Midway's name throughout the 90s and sure, I think the okay. people that they offloaded Midway and all of these properties onto which I believe is Infograms.
0: The 2000s was a very confusing time to be following Namco Atari and Midway cuz they were all being like absorbed and and like it was like <laughs> watching mitosis take place in biology just like everything like taking from each other buying and selling and buying and selling and Midway being sold off eventually in 2009 and Bandai Namco merging and then becoming Namco Bandai. Oh, yeah. And now they make Smash Bros, which is weird. Um, and like Atari <laughs> is s- somehow still has money after all these years. And they put out random uh, legacy consoles that you know you plug and play and they just put out that random collection to celebrate 50 years i have no idea how that company makes money
1: they they don't it's just whoever owns the name at the time just right. like let's do something namco on the other hand is a like the scrappiest can i say the scrappiest motherfucker In the industry for like (laughs) the entirety of it. I do have to mention, like, let me give you the beginnings of Namco. It's with a mechanical horsey ride on top of like a mall. Um, And that's where uh, Nakamura uh, Mm -hmm. started. Uh, That dude was engineering bowling alleys on top of movie theaters so that. There was no that place in town wrong. to put a bowling alley, <laughs> but it's so that no one in the theater could hear it, because there's nowhere else in town to put a bowling alley. Uh, and like true. he did it, and like in the '80s they are making moves, they are trying to stab Nintendo in the back. It's amazing. They they're Namco's so great. I love them so much as like a company.
3: <laughs> and then Namco honestly really was like a huge player in the GameCube era. Namco put out some oh, yeah. great titles, did a lot of collaborations. You think of Pac Man versus, as an example, an exclusive GameCube slash Game Boy Advance game. Uh, and Nintendo
1: th- and them had were kind of making up at that point. So, yeah, yeah. They, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: You know, they went through a messy divorce, but you know they they want to keep stay together for the kids. So you know they yeah, uh, You know <laughs> now they do Dark Souls. Yeah, now they do Dark Souls, <laughs> the the classic <laughs> Nintendo property,
1: <laughs> Dark Souls. And yeah, That's right. so it's weird that you get to talk about. Just the way it all worked out is like this is a Midway collection. No, it's like everybody, everyone's here.
3: <laughs> it's like a small, small segment of Midway, but honestly, yeah, more other like more Midway and or more Bally and Williams than anything. Uh, now you talked about going fast, which Williams makes sure you do on Pinball. Uh, let's talk about going fast for Midway Arcade Treasures 3 with all these racing games. Thought it was kind of weird that they decided to segment and like just put all the racing games in one collection instead of like putting them on some of the others. Also the fact that there's only eight games instead of the 20 and 24 from the other ones, I guess kind of makes it a little stranger.
1: And the, and these are like later racing games. So right. they're not, like, they all kind of look similar. They're, they're yeah. not, they, I think they're using, some of them are polygonal like the most like the earlier ones even, but yeah, I, I it, it might just be like, these are your, these are the nineties racing games, man.
0: <laughs> yeah i think they wanted to break them up a little bit by era and i guess genre as well which I, it, it is weird that they did i think they would have been better off just kind of cutting up the what 50 or 60 games into three even sets of 20 or something like that like that would have mm-hmm. made way more sense than to do this random third entry with just racing games i don't know
3: it feels it feels like they like decide to do it last minute after they saw that yeah arcade treasures 2 was making some money they're like i guess we'll make a third
0: <laughs> this was also 2005 when midway was at the floundering point. Like they had they had <laughs> right. three years to go at this point. So they were trying everything to stay alive.
3: We need some money quick. Let's make
0: an arcade treasures three and put racing games on it.
4: I'd
0: <laughs> yeah, run out at that point. But uh, Luigi, of the three collections, do you have a favorite of these ones or one that you'd kind of recommend people look into? I
1: don't know. Like they're all they're all pretty great. I mean we okay, so Off Road is here. <laughs> it is represented twice on on Off-Road Thunder and Super Offroad, which is the one I remember, uh, being in arcades. But both both stellar games. Uh, that d- yeah should have been on one of the earlier collections, though. I feel they feel out of place yep. doing this. I think it, they could have gone with just two. Yeah, if if you want just like some, I don't, I don't know how the emulation is. I hope it's pretty good. But all of these titles on one are great.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think that would be my pick, too, is the first one. Like, yeah. clearly mm. this was the one that they made, you know, first and thinking that they probably weren't going to make another and just be right. like, here, here's a collection of just 24 really good games. Like, every single one of these games, uh, I, I would say, is worth playing. Some of them are, are obviously have aged quite poorly, but some
1: There's of them... There's some that are just kind of slid into the deck at the last second. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Bubbles is weird. It's funny. <laughs> But it's yeah. weird. Got to have it there. Yeah. But yeah, it's a Williams game. You're a bubble that cleans the sink. What?
4: <laughs> it's cool to see
3: how like the evolution goes because uh, the oldest game here is uh, def- uh yeah, Defender uh, from 1980, and then the the oldest game is Rampart from 1990. So that's 10 years that you kinda, mm-hmm. can can kind of see these games evolve. And Rampart looks a lot different than uh, Defender. Let me tell you. So it's kind of cool to to see like. 10 years of graphics and just the massive changes that happened at that time
0: 10 years is a long time when you're talking about computer graphics though like especially in the 80s and they, you're right it is cool to see yeah. that transition because i think there's one game yeah there's there's at least one game from every year in the 80s so you can literally watch the transition of the graphics mm-hmm. cards getting better yeah that's that's neat didn't think about that
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and with with uh with Defender, especially because Defender and uh, Pac-Man would have come out the same year, and so those are like definitive change for arcade games. Things started looking better <laughs> before that. You would have like Space Invaders or um, Asteroids or you know monochrome. There were there was still there was color too, but like there's just something about 1980 as a bam. We get the greatest arcade game ever made, which is you know probably arguably Pac-Man and Defender you can have that discussion but people have been having it for longer than we've been alive so.
3: <laughs> yeah 1980 yeah. was that's certainly the year the 80s itself is just like if you want to just experience arc- arcades in the 80s and not try and go out and play these game these arcade games I don't know wherever you can find them at your local laundromat uh this is honestly i think like one of the best ways to play it the emulation is solid from for the most part uh for treasures one and two it's a little stranger on three with the dreamcast ports but i think these are just solid games to pick up or it's solid uh collections to pick up and just really interesting just a little piece of history
1: yeah and I, I guess probably don't trust the the volume three because those games are some of them are pretty recent so trying to i, I just just re-release Hydro Thunder, but didn't it get a re-release? I don't know. Did it ever come to GameCube? Nope. 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 Not on GameCube. On Dreamcast, but but uh, yeah, not on GameCube. I thought it made it off of Dreamcast somewhere, but I don't know.
3: No, that was a sinking ship that not everyone made it off of, unfortunately. And so it is at the bottom <laughs> of the sea. But uh, Luigi, it's been amazing having you on, like always. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about for Pinball, Midway, whatever, before we let you go?
1: Uh, here, you know what? I'm going to read the opening of Stephen L. Kent's The Ultimate History of Video Games. Ooh, nice. Because the chapter one starts with the. Each chapter starts with a little. Yeah, like a little taste of what you're gonna get <laughs> i like this paper asmr right now too it's nice, nice. Yeah. yeah yeah there you go yeah oh. this is uh stephen baxter former producer of the cnn computer connection god i don't know how old that should <laughs> be here's how the here's how the ultimate history of video games the book begins you can't say that video games grew out of pinball but you can assume that video games wouldn't have happened without it it's like bicycles and automobiles One industry leads to the other, and then they exist side by side. But you had to have bicycles to one day have motor cars.
3: I love that. That's a great Mm. analogy, because that's Mm -hmm. so true. I don't think we, like, we kind of take for granted, like, pinball, honestly. No, I don't. <laughs> and doesn't. But uh, the rest of the population does not. I think kiss. about
1: pinball once a week on average. As you should. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I, I, and, you know, they. it's true. They set up, like, a lot of the distribution networks that Atari would eventually go on to butt heads with and then completely, like, own. But that stuff was set up by companies like Gottlieb and Midway and Williams and stuff. So, wow. yeah, they they laid the groundwork. Yeah, go pinball. Go pinball. Well, go pinball indeed.
3: Well, yeah, and go old, old arcade. Oh, you know, of course. Whatever. <laughs> this has been uh, incredibly informative. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. I, I've I've had a great time l- learning, discussing, and why don't we give you this time to plug whatever you are working on?
1: When I'm not talking about old video games, I'm talking about old video games. <laughs> Wait <laughs> on uh chat of the wild which is the zelda book club show where we are coming to a close on skyward sword and i think i'm finally to a point for like the, the entire second half of the season i thought i had for years thought i had stopped long before and like now they're just checking in with me going hey have uh you played this part yet or have we gotten past you and i'm like no no, <laughs> no i still either. remember things let's continue <laughs> so there's that um need for speed running uh it's a podcast about speed running uh, done with some people from gdq and yeah gdq's coming up soon so i'm very excited to watch some games done quick at the mm-hmm. beginning of january but check out need for speed running if you like speed runs in any way it's a good time and remember 64 remember do you remember 64 i do <laughs> and uh my, my friend david and i make that show sometime but they sh- everyone should listen to remember 64 it's a great show and david's amazing so
3: and we're gonna try and come on uh pretty soon yes. apparently talking to oh, you yeah. right now
1: <laughs> i'm
0: always on i'm always uh, down to do some n64 talk yeah for sure Absolutely. i'm interested to hear mike on that show actually because uh, mike hates the n64 so <laughs> that's right uh, yeah we need to have him on i suppose It's just going to be
3: me berating it. Yeah, Interesting (laughs) turn that that show is taking.
1: It's just going to be nothing but three-prong controller jokes.
3: Eight-year-old Mike went really hard on that controller, but uh, enough about that. Uh, Thank you very much, (laughs) Luigi, for coming on today. We've had a great time with you, as always, and we learned a lot, and we hope uh, to see you again real soon.
1: Thanks, guys. It's always fun talking about GameCube and other things that are really old. Sweet.
0: All right, man. Talk to you soon. See you later. Bye bye.
3: What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Luigi, for coming on today. We always appreciate it. Uh, At Luigi's apartment, by the way, is his Instagram. Mm -hmm. And of course, he is uh, on all those podcasts that he mentioned before. we can barely keep up with one podcast, Neil, so I don't know how he does three, but... No uh, idea. <laughs> no idea, but they're all fantastic. I love uh, the the speedrunning one as well, uh, Need for Speedrunning. Uh, Games No and Quick, of course, coming up soon too. So yeah, and yeah, learned a lot about pinball i i did, i had no idea luigi knew so much about the pinball world i know like his dad like you said was really big into the pinball tables and yeah that's a world i would i personally would love to own a pinball table one day
0: yeah that's my goal too is to own a pinball table would have been really cool to have been around when they were huge like now it's very it's a very niche market to be into pinballing and that's one of the things holding me back is that the price of them they're insanely expensive and then yep. <laughs> trying to get them fixed is another issue too if they break yeah. you really have to find a place that specializes in pinball machines, which in Toronto, I know of none. So they're not at every street corner. Like there your, are...
3: your local pinball. I might just machine. take it. I might
0: just take it to weed stores and see what they can do to help me out. Cause that's, I'll probably have better chance with that. Cause there's just so damn many of them here in, uh, here in Toronto. But yeah, no, it was a lot of fun to, uh, to talk about Pinball and uh, Midway, but we still have a few other collections to talk about, Mike, specifically Namco collections, but uh, I think we have another guest joining us to uh, talk about their memories and experience with those games. So uh, who's our next caller?
3: That's right, Neil. Joining us today is friend of the show, Christian, and we're really excited to have Christian on, and since he is a first-time caller, we got to ask the question, did you own a GameCube back in the day?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, I had a... Two, two older brothers, um, so uh, my parents got it for us, I believe, for, for Christmas.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, nice.
2: And what color was that GameCube? I think it was purple. Um, nice. We no longer have it. I'm not sure what happened to it.
3: <gasps> R.I.P. We'll, we'll pour one out for the Traded game Traded it here.
2: in to get the Wii,
0: no, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the uh, our favorite question is, uh, did your parents or whoever bought it for you have the foresight to buy a memory card with the GameCube?
2: So I was thinking about this before the show um, because I don't know if I remember. I was so young when we got it, and mm-hmm. then I continued to play it as I got older. Um, so I'm not exactly sure. I feel like I was so young. I'm I'm not quite sure. I knew what was happening <laughs> when
3: we were playing. My
2: brothers were like guiding me through it, or like crushing me in Smash.
3: <laughs> <laughs> You were just you were just continually playing the first uh first 20 minutes of Luigi's Mansion and just yeah, assuming yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. new game every single time. <laughs> exactly.
0: You guys were just playing the games for the vibes. You didn't you didn't save games for the first 3 years. You only had
3: 6 fighters in Smash <laughs> yeah, yeah. and
0: yeah,
2: perfect. A true a true gamer. Exactly.
0: Exactly. True GameCube
3: head right there. Beat but, every game uh, in one sitting. but of course we did bring you on to talk about these namco games but before we ask you some questions about them neil why don't you list the stats for these two namco games before we get started
0: All right, sounds good. Namco Museum was released on October 9th, 2002, developed by Mass Media, published by Namco. It's also on Dreamcast, PS2, Xbox, Windows, Game Boy Advance, and the N64. Rates a 6 out of 10. Priced today at around $10, and this is, of course, an arcade compilation, and was followed up by Namco 50th Anniversary, released on August 30th, 2005. Developed and published yet again by Namco. Also on PS2, Xbox, PC, and the Game Boy Advance. Again, rates another 6.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $10, and it's another arcade compilation, of course, and these games are both a part of the Namco Museum series, which I had no idea this was technically considered a series that Namco put out uh, the first title of the series, being Namco Museum Volume 1, was released for the PlayStation ni- in 1995. Mm-hmm. Most recently, uh, they had uh, the Namco Namco Museum of some sorts released in 2020. Overall, the franchise over the last 25 years or 27 years now has sold 14 million copies worldwide, meaning that it's actually coming close to Metroid numbers, which is scary. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Right? That's wild. <laughs> I know that's scary to think, but yeah, they they just keep pumping out Namco collections, man. Like people love Pac-Man, people love Dig Dug and Galaga, so, and that's basically what's on every single
2: collection over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, is it the same grouping or is yep. it different? No, <laughs>
0: no, pretty much the same sets. It'll be really neat, though, like in 20 or 30 years when they start putting out Bandai Namco collections and it's Dark Souls and, uh, and uh, <laughs> Smash Bros and all of like the more uh, newer games. Maybe you have some Pac-Man verses in there or something. But no, for the most part, it's just the classic arcade games that people have been playing for 40 years. <laughs>
3: That's yeah. so funny, and even uh, one thing I wanted to mention too: we had a we have a really rare combination here. Uh, Namco Museum, the first one, mm. was released on N sixty four and GameCube. Uh, there's only like four games that were released on N sixty four and GameCube together, which is pretty rare. So and Dreamcast uh, yeah, was, too, and Dreamcast as well. Yeah, this this was on. Uh, basically every console that existed in 2002 so that's kind of cool mm-hmm. uh, right there but uh christian we want to ask you uh, what's your history with uh with these namco games
2: yeah um so i'm i'm imagining when when i was thinking earlier today why this game ended up in our library i'm imagining my dad was frequently trying to play games with us um, but was not very good so I, <laughs> I assume he saw it on like the gamestop shelf and was like this is something I can get behind. These games. I can beat um, my kids. and actually. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I'll have a chance. No, no right stick in the first-person shooters. Right. Um, but yeah, so I assume that's that's how we we got it. Um, and I have a vivid memory of turning on this game and hearing because the the first track that comes on is "Come On, Eileen." Oh my god! Um, and I didn't. I had never heard that song before. So I went after I turned on this game and I was like, has anyone ever like this is a great song? Like, I don't know if anyone's heard this one before. Um, and Come on Eileen was like my, my anthem for for a hot sec after after playing this.
3: That's a that's a great story. I love that. Oh my god. Dexies Midnight Runners presents Namco Museum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Now, did you did you ever play these these games kind of in in arcades themselves? Like, did you get to play Pac-Man or Galaga or Dig Dug in arcades ever? Or was this just kind of like your touchstone with these games?
2: For the most part, this was it. I'm not sure I was playing it too much in arcades. There was a, a diner. It's since closed down, sadly. Um, but a diner by my house that had a Pac-Man 2 machine, um, mm. like right in the center of it. So I remember after school in like... F- on like Fridays in 6th grade me and a pack of friends would go to this diner and likely like probably totally disrupt service <laughs> in the middle of this restaurant playing Pac-Man um nice. which was which was always super fun um I don't I don't think I was ever very good but um, if, if I was getting to a far level, I was probably kicked out of the restaurant for <laughs> you buy something. disrupting service too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got to buy a drink or something to stay alive on the Pac-Man yeah, board. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, so would you, cons- <laughs> exactly.
0: would you consider uh, Pac-Man to be your favorite of the Namco Museum games? Or were there other uh, games from the collections that uh, stood out to you?
2: Well, looking back at this game recently, I remember uh, really enjoying Sky Kid... Um, Mm. which is the, it's a game on there where you like control a guy in a plane and you have to like shoot at some enemies. Um, they're like very short missions, but you shoot at some enemies and then at the end you pick up a, the final like mission is to blow up like a castle or fortress with a a bomb, but Mm. you don't have the bomb on the plane. So you have to like swoop down, pick up the bomb, make sure your timing's right and then drop it at the right spot. Cool. Um, so I remember enjoying that one.
3: Yeah, I saw this one, like, when I was kind of watching gameplay for all these, you know, there's so many games here, of course, and this was one that stood out to me because I had never heard of it before, and uh, it's so colorful, I really like it, it's, like, really bright, colorful, uh, interesting kind of mechanics as well, it's quite different from, like, the the Pac-Mans and the uh, Galaga's, which are, you know, very dark, obviously, and mostly just black.
2: Yeah, and the, the, the music to it also, when you when you finish the mission, mm-hmm. it's got a nice little, like, I don't know, ditty to it. Yeah. Um, and you have there, I looked up, I was on the, the Wikipedia for it um, earlier, and apparently, so you can do a loop-de-loop in the plane. Um, hmm. I'm not sure whether that's, like, an actual mechanic or just, like, a fun thing they put in. But if you, at the end of each mission, they have, like, a, a three, like, cheering women at the, the <laughs> runway. And if you do a loop-de-loop in front of them, they, like, send up heart emojis oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs>
3: i love little easter eggs like that that's so funny
2: <laughs>
0: yeah it's kind of cool that in the in the 50th anniversary collection too they've got a game in there called mappy which is a game about like a it's like a platforming game where you play as a mouse and that character is a raceable character when in the uh the pac-man the cart the namco kart racing game that mike and i actually oh. covered a few weeks ago um yeah so it's kind of cool that that character kind of had a little bit of a comeback there in the in the 2000s Um uh, Watching gameplay of it just right now, actually, it, it, it has it's not really Pac-Man vibe. You're being chased by like cats or something that are somehow smaller than you, even though you're the mouse. I don't really know <laughs> yeah, what's what's yeah, yeah. <laughs> going on there, but uh, that looks like a pretty fun game. Uh stress inducing, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> that's the one with the ladders, right? You're yep. like going up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And like, like it kinda reminds me of like Wreck It Ralph almost yeah, Donkey like, that Kong kind of, like, or something. Style. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And like Donkey Kong. I mean, all these these games as you can tell, are all very similar because it's the same people making them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of copy and paste for sure at this time. But like you know, these were really innovative games for the time, so it's kind of cool to see them uh, all in one collection. Uh, Galaga, of course, is a classic. I'd say Galaga is probably like the second biggest Namco game of this era, next to Pac Man. Mm-hmm. I swear, I see like those i'm not sure if you've seen these christian but a lot of these bars now or other places have these kind of tabletop versions of pac-man and galaga
2: yeah it's like you know
3: inside the table i swear every single one has pac-man and galaga yeah 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 yeah. no those are the two classics Um, and they still hold up and like that's why they they have them like rightfully so those games are
0: really good like i was playing pac-man this week and i was like yeah this is still fun i was playing Galaga, and i was like yeah this is this is still fun because there's like very few games like this, especially in the AAA space where there are none. Uh, then you play, you know, you you stretch your wings out a little bit. And you go to a game like Pole Position, and you're like, well, I can see why this game doesn't
3: get as much love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are your What's your experience with Pole Position, Christian?
2: I remember playing. I don't. I don't. Again, like I don't think I ever got very far in it. No. Um, either because I was like bored and wanted to switch to to one of the more like the Pac-Mans or the. Um, the the Sky Kid, but uh but I was watching like a, a a playthrough of it um earlier and I don't know if I i remember because I'm away from home so I wasn't able to play it before but um mm. I don't know if I remember it being easier, but this guy was like all over the road. I was watching the play, he was like veering like hitting like all the cars. He was like running in signs. I was like no way the controls are that crazy but but maybe i don't know
4: (laughs) they
0: are i mean Um, it's tricky Uh, this is a different era of 3d animation and everything so like uh it's a car racing game right like it's like a not nascar but like a honda Indy kind of thing where um the the cars are going pretty fast and the the draw distance is terrible so you can't tell like when like you have to turn left with like no notice at all and it's one of those types of games so it's ahead of its time i'm sure it was fun for its time but one of those games that has not aged super well, like like many of the uh, games attempting at 3D animation back in the 80s.
3: And now there are two unlockable games in the 50th anniversary version. There's Pac-Mania, which requires a score of 15,000 in Pac-Man and 20,000 in Miss Pac-Man to unlock. And there's Galaga 88, which is also unlockable and requires a score of 40,000 in Galaga to unlock. Christian, do you ever uh, manage to uh, unlock any of these games?
2: I don't. I don't i can't say that i that i was um yeah because i saw that i i saw that they were that that was a uh, a thing and i was I, yeah i can't remember ever seeing those. so
3: didn't didn't put enough time into pac-man i guess <laughs> yeah galaga 88 just looks more intense honestly from like it's, it's <laughs> that's pretty much all know, they could do back then is just make the games <laughs> harder yeah, or yeah. longer was... <laughs> it's just yeah more intense there's obviously uh more kind of somewhat pre-rendered backgrounds and things it is an 87 game rather than galaga being an 81 game so it's six years and you see the graphical difference um and yeah it's relatively more intense and then pac-man mania uh or pac-mania i should say uh that's just like a whole other game that was on the the nes i believe and originally and then eventually on the genesis as well which was kind of like a i guess like a two a 2.5 d version of pac-man that was almost like top down it's very strange if you guys check it out at all it's uh it's a really weird like isometric view of pac-man that i'm not sure how i feel about to be honest (laughs) i don't think i've ever seen this before it's neat like it's it's interesting
0: i don't know if i need it but it looks like he's playing on lego or something is that oh i I
2: have seen
3: i've seen photos of this before yeah this is weird if it i i can see like i can see being in a boardroom and then, and then being like, you know what, guys, uh, Namco needs a new Pac-Man game. We need to, like, shake things up. Let's try for this kind of isometric view of things. And they're like, okay, sure, I guess this is where gaming's going. And, you know, it didn't really work that well, but that's okay. Uh, you know they They're like, try add one out.
2: more dimension, it can't
3: go wrong. <laughs> it can't, surely it can't go wrong. Yeah. And then they realize that people don't like playing in a way where you can't see the rest of the, the, the map. That's what really <laughs> yeah. kind of bugged right. me yeah. looking at it. I was like, why can't you see the rest of the map? I, I feel like I'm cornered. I feel like I'm this is like new Bomberman or something. Mm. So, yeah, i not not a fan, but, you know, I appreciate the, them trying.
0: Zoomed in on Pac-Man's face. Doesn't look like he's having a fun time at all. He definitely looks better uh, on a 2D perspective for sure. But one thing I just want to say, though, before uh, – before we close out the topic on Namco Museums, is the Game Boy Advance version of these games and the handheld versions in general, they sell incredibly well. The console versions, not so much, but the Game Boy Advance version in particular of the first Namco Museum uh, game sold 2.4 million copies uh, in in the United States, making it $37 million uh, by August of 2006. And between January and 2006, uh, it was the third highest selling game for handheld consoles in the States. So the Namco museums were huge on the Game Boy Advance specifically. Can't remember what games are on there exactly. I know that it did have a few, uh, actually it had less games, especially the Namco 50th anniversary, which had 16 games on the GameCube version. The Game Boy Advance version only had five, uh, which is probably (laughs) the main five that everyone was playing anyway. So it was just a stripped down version of what everyone actually wanted. Um, but still like huge, huge sellers, those Namco games.
3: Last thing I want to say is personally my favorite uh, or one of my favorite uh, titles here on the 50th anniversary I'm not sure if you played this one Christian is Dragon Spirit. That is a really really cool game.
2: Yes, yes, I was I I think I don't think I played it too much, but when I was watching that playthrough I was looking at that um and the the graphics are so different. It almost has like a Ikaruga like well, yeah. I don't know what style that would be, but um it, it looks like it plays like like very very interestingly mm-hmm. uh, yeah you're, like dodging obstacles from the front and then also from below you because there's stuff is like shooting at you from the ground so.
3: yep yeah it's it's a it's a you know uh sh- shoot' up b- bullet uh, hell that, yeah it's a bullet hell yeah very similar to Ikaruga's and and beautiful graphics as well like it's Such a beautiful game. I remember these games uh, from back in the day. I played them a little bit. There was an arcade cabinet uh, Hmm. that I played that had this. I I forget where, but as soon as I saw footage, I was like, oh, I remember this game. This is sick. You're like a three-headed dragon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Looks like something out of Yu-Gi-Oh
0: or something, actually. It does, right? (laughs)
3: And like, yeah, the locations are really well done. Like, the environments are amazing. And again, I've said this this already a couple times on this episode, but just the difference. This is an 87 game. Like, the difference between this and, like, a Pac-Man, from 1980 it's just incredible graphical comparison but uh, yeah. yeah with that I think that uh, kind of wraps up our Namco museum and Namco 50th anniversary talk so Christian is there anything else you'd like to say about these two games before we uh, let you go for the day?
2: I did see something really interesting that I wanted to share when mm-hmm. I was looking up because I also remember playing Dig Dug Oh yes. Um, and Dig Dug apparently they made a Dig Dug MMO in 2007 that was only released in japan it was like a browser-based mmo um which i was like of all games they were like doubling down (laughs) apparently they just kept releasing dig dug games um i it was i think this this channel golden golden bolt released a great video um on on dig dug's history so um Hmm. dig dug mmo they should bring it back
3: Dig Dug Island. That's what you're talking (laughs) about. Dig Dug Island. Yes, yes,
2: yes. Interesting.
3: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, why Dig Dug got its own MMO is beyond me, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I, uh, I would like to to see that. But while we're waiting for Dig Dug Island (laughs) meal, I guess we will say adieu to Christians. So thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And yeah, we uh, hope to talk to you again real soon. Take care. Have a good day.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun.
3: What a nice young man! What a nice young man! Thank you very much, Christian, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. I love love the stories. Honestly, get some great stories there, especially about Pac Man. And yeah, I love what he was talking about—the arcade console in the middle of the restaurant. That yeah. uh, that just gave me like flashbacks. That I remember some restaurants that had that. It's like, why is this in the middle? Why is this not away from anything? But I feel like that's probably
0: just like thinking about it now. Like there were a lot of arcades in restaurants when we were kids, and now you go to restaurants and there's rarely one like unless you go to a bar where there aren't any kids and that's honestly we probably are the reason why there are no longer (laughs) because the kids would just hang around them they would they would just you know dick around with the machines even though they weren't even paying for them they were just playing with the joystick or the light gun or the the arcade the racing wheel or whatever and then getting in the way of business knocking over servers being loud being noisy so the restaurant owners probably eventually said screw this we're not gonna have these arcade cabinets in here anymore Kids bring in their Game Boys and their phones now anyways, so that's kind of what it's become. But yeah, it is like a bit of a bygone era where every family restaurant where you went to in the 90s and 2000s had something. If it was a Daytona USA or a golfing game or a a time crisis game or something random, Pac-Man, like they all had one. But uh, long gone now, and uh, I guess uh, people like Christian and
3: Mike and Neil were the reason why. Yeah, Christian and his gang of hooligans going oh, to, those going guys. to, <laughs> going to the, the restaurant and uh, just hanging around. And maybe that's yeah. why the McDonald's uh, play place is also gone, those sticky controllers. But mm-hmm. uh, Neil, we do have one more guest joining us on the show today. We're going to be talking about some Gauntlet Dark Legacy with them. And joining us today is Jedi Geek Girl. We're really excited to have her back on the show. And our question to you would be, what is your favorite arcade game of all time?
4: Hey, hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me back on. I know it's been a while, but to answer your question, my favorite arcade game, I have to go the video route, and it would have to be the original Donkey Kong.
3: Ooh, okay, okay. Original Donkey Kong. And why, why that one over all these amazing arcade games, even over Gauntlet?
4: I love how clean it is. I love how simple it is. It's iconic. It features characters that are not only iconic, but test the... They, they last a long time, they had the longevity, there's just something so iconic that both Donkey Kong and Jumpman at the time, mm. uh, and Paulina, I think, was the name of the the princess, not Princess Total Peach, but just something about that game that, it just have everything for me.
0: I was going to say, that's a that's an awesome pick, it got Nintendo's start in the arcade, I mean, I know that they had random games before that, but that really was their, their big hit, so we wouldn't have the GameCube, probably, if we didn't have Donkey Kong, so... Great choice. I love that.
3: want to have the GameCube and probably want to have some of these other games that we'll be talking about. But uh, Neil, why don't you introduce uh, Gauntlet Dark Legacy uh, to the show here?
0: Sure thing. Gauntlet Dark Legacy was released on March 6, 2002, developed and published by Midway Games. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Game Boy Advance, and of course was released in the arcade. Rates a 6 out of 10. Priced today at around $100, and this is a hack-and-slash game, and it's based on the 1985 fantasy-themed hack-and-slash game of the same name, developed by Atari Games at the time. This game was also on the Midway Collections that we talked about a little bit earlier, and this was a standalone game released way later. And uh, we brought on Jedi Geek Girl to uh, talk about uh, talk about her experience with the this game. So what got you into the Gauntlet series?
4: So, back in the day, when I got my GameCube and I finally bought games of my own, the first game I owned was WrestleMania 18. Mm. That in itself is an arcade game, and I played it with friends, but I wanted something with a little bit more substance. I wanted a story-based game. However, in the summer of 2003, that was before Metroid, Zelda sunshine all the triple a titles that are associated with the gamecube so i looked and i looked and i looked and got my dark legacy caught my eye the fantasy aspect of it i don't know if i was aware of the rpg elements but I i think the aesthetics of it really caught my eye and i picked it up i played it and i played it a lot at the time i leveled up like most of my characters you know unlocked most of the secret stuff and played it with friends, and I just have so many memories. And when I restarted my collection, I intended to pick not only my first video game up, but my second video game as well, of restarting my GameCube collection. So it always has a warm place in my heart.
3: And Gauntlet is, is such an interesting kind of franchise, and uh, I, I like personally didn't really know much about it before getting into this collection, or getting into uh, GameCube in general. Uh, And I had no idea that it, you know, was an older game. It was from the 1985 game. So did you have kind of experience playing that original game?
4: No. uh, My first experience with Gauntlet was that GameCube game. And I don't remember when. I don't know if it was the fall or... I don't remember. But I know it wasn't too long after that I picked up and I think I played Gauntlet 64. And of course, I learned about like the original Gauntlet, and I think I might have tried that once or twice, but uh, I never really dove deep into the original.
0: There are a lot of Gauntlet games too. Like the, it originally came out in '85, like we said, but the Dark Legacy was actually first released in 1999, and that's the sixth game in the series out on arcades. It was ported to PS2 first. That was in May of 2001. And the GameCube game is basically a port of the PS2 version, I believe. So there's been a lot of versions of it. And I think you can jump into just about any of these game. I think you can jump into Gauntlet Dark Legacy without having played the original games. You might be... A little bit lost with the characters and the and the lore but uh, i think you can pick up things pretty quickly um it's it's pretty neat though you can play this game with uh with three other people or you play with three other characters uh did you have a specific character that you like to play as jedi geek girl
4: i did uh, back in the summer of 2002 correction from my earlier statement not 2003 mm-hmm. the first the character that i would attracted to was the dwarf because when it came to rpgs back in the day i went more towards attack uh characters that i wanted to kill the bad guys as quick as possible so i I thought was the character that i leaned towards was more of the aggression type
3: nice nice yeah that's probably what i would do too if i uh if i had kind of started this especially when i was younger um uh, these games like one thing i was really impressed with dark legacy is how cool the cutscenes are like that's what would have gotten me really into this is that the cutscenes are really well done they're pretty hype uh and uh (laughs) just like the graphics for are are pretty well done uh for the time especially because this is like neil said basically like a 1999 game
4: one of the things that really stuck out to me was the replayability of it at the time because not only could you work your way through the story, but you had to replay levels to get secrets to level up because you had to level up your characters. When you go into the final segment, you wanted to make sure that you had, like, enough power-ups. So we'll get into it later about my recent playthrough. But, yeah, those, those, re- replaying those levels and leveling up your characters and getting items is so important.
3: Well, we can get into it now. What's, uh, so your recent playthrough... Uh, like, how long, I guess, so I'm assuming you played it quite recently. Before that, like, did you play it, like, long ago? You know, was this the first time coming back to it in a long time?
4: It was, actually. Uh, the first time I played, like I said, was in 2002, and I played mm-hmm. it probably in two, 2003. Might have played in 2004, I might have tried to play it later in the collection, but, like, it's been a while since I played it, and I played it actually last year, because I've been waiting to talk to you guys about Got With I Legacy. um, But, Actually, when I was playing it through, like the final boss was a little bit, I don't want to say tougher than I remember it, but you need all those items and mm-hmm. health because it's a typical arcade game. You can very easily get overwhelmed. So,
0: And do you play the game or have you ever played the game with uh, like three other people? Have you played a co-op or do you always play single player with uh, AI?
4: So, I actually played with one other person. I might have played with two other p- people at a time. And I don't know about you with these co-op games, but usually I, it might have been my siblings. It could have been a friend. But we always alternated during treasure chests. It's like, okay, I get this one. You get that one. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you fight. to, to <laughs> I got to get to the treasure chest before you and somebody gets left in the uh, dust, especially if they don't know a treasure chest is coming and you know. So, I, we always played it where we alternated.
0: I always had to do that too when I was growing up. I played a lot of beat-em-up games with my siblings and like one heart would fall and you'd have to like either beat each other up to try and get the heart or, you know, you'd be nice and be like, no, you take it now. You take the the power up or whatever you take the item now and I'll take the next one kind of thing. So it's good if you can find somebody to uh, play nice uh, with, with that. Um, otherwise it ends up being a cry fest and you end up crying to your mother. Uh, not, not from personal experience, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, but how is the uh, AI like playing this game alone? Do, do the characters fight well? Cause I've seen some gameplay where they kind of get in the way and whatnot. Does it, does it hold up?
4: So when you play single player mode, it's just you and it's just you attacking some enemies, it can be very mindless at times going back and revisiting it, but sometimes that's perfectly satisfying. I mean, some of the best games are just pushing a, a, a single button multiple times or something, and just getting, exp- just exploring the world and encountering, like like you have like three different types of enemies, you have like the common thing, you have like a bigger thing, so, like the enemies variants, wall diverse, all the molds were like the same kind if that makes any sense so mm-hmm. you kind of knew what you were expecting but just each different segment of the castle had different features that it offered up that diversity so even though you're doing the same thing you're not getting bored if that makes any sense yeah i mean that's
3: uh, and that's pretty cool for a game uh, again like we said released in 99 and basically based on an old arcade game like the fact that there is replayability that there's diversity in it as well that you can kind of keep going back to it and and you're not getting bored while going through this castle is is pretty impressive for the time uh, i also have to kind of ask uh, i guess what your favorite area is in this game like what your favorite part i, I guess you could say
4: Oh wow! I was not expecting that question. <laughs> hmm. I think I might have to go with the. Uh, I think it's the third section with the uh, Samira, um, the three-headed creature, yep. the lion dragon, and I forget whatever snake. That sounds about right.
3: Yeah. Uh cool. just because
4: that stuck out with me. Obviously, the Egyptian part. Um, when you're in the air and you're doing the um. You're going across, like, airships or whatever. It's like a haunting feel and stuff like that. I mean, the first one's iconic because you play it a lot, and then you've got the volcanic level, then you've got the ice level. Uh, so for me, it, ha- it has to be between the-, the castle and the airship-ish level.
3: The airship is really cool. The ice level, I pur- I-, I really like ice stuff. I don't know why. There's something about ice things. I don't know about you, Neil, but uh, ice things are cool. Like uh, in uh, in Mario, in like Mario Kart 2, I always like the ice levels. No
0: pun intended. I like how you said ice levels are cool.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, I I really like the ice domains in this, uh, in this game.
0: It can vary. I mean, like it depends on uh, the game. Sometimes it's uh, used unfairly. Sometimes you get games like Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, which has a lot of ice levels in True. it. And uh, those levels are all really good. But yeah, for me, I think like, most of the environments look pretty good. Like I like the the setting that the game takes place in. I like the fantasy aesthetic that uh, most of the levels have. For me, the only issue is that like when you have a lot of enemies on screen and sometimes this game does have a lot going on on screen, it does get a little bit choppy. It's hard to tell what's going on. Uh, it, I feel like these games or these older games probably could do with... A bit of a refurbish or a remake or something on current gen hardware. I know that there was the 2014 Gauntlet like kind of reboot that sort of came out uh, on current gen hardware. Um, Jedi Gigerella, did you play that one, the 2014 game, or is this the latest Gauntlet game you've played?
4: I have not. Uh, I kind of fell off the Gauntlet thing. Like it was, mm. Gauntlet Dark Legacy is one of those games in a franchise where it's like. I might have dabbled a little bit in the other one, but I only have, like, one entry that I really love and enjoy mm-hmm. and has a special place in my heart, so I haven't. And you are right about when there's a lot of enemies, it kind of, like, chops up, but there's nothing like that feeling of, like, chopping your way through a bunch <laughs> of enemies. And this was before the games where you fought, like, thousands of uh, enemies on screen at once. I yeah. mean, obviously, the they, it couldn't handle it at that time, but, like... Even though it's not as many compared to those games, there's just something so satisfying. You're like, here's a bunch of enemies coming, and you're just chopping your way through them.
3: Yeah, it is pretty impressive. Like, I mean, I, I noticed the, obviously, the frame rate dips and everything, but they weren't um, detrimental to the game, I don't think. And you playing this now, you know, for the first time since a while, like, did you notice the graphical kind of capabilities and and that kind of stuff, like, lower then uh, because you've kind of seen modern games and everything, or did that not bother you at all?
4: So because I am playing on a smart TV with a GameCube, it may be just that, but I definitely noticed, noticed that. I'm like, wow, this game hasn't exactly held up when it came to the graphical capabilities. But like I said, it's that... Uh, nostalgia and special place in my heart where i overlook it and i'd be like hey i love it it doesn't matter i accept you for who you are (laughs) yeah i would be (laughs)
3: curious to see how this would look on like a crt like on a uh on an actual old tv because like neil has brought this up many times too on this podcast the fact that most of these games you know they were made for those kind of tube tvs at the time and they look best played on those They pretty much all were from the GameCube. Like, they were not
0: made to play on... No one had flat screens in 2002. So, yeah, they almost always look better. When I love taking my GameCube to my parents' house because they still have the tube TVs. I didn't bring one with me. Uh, I would like to have one someday, but... God they take up a lot of space. But yeah, I think the GameCube doesn't quite run the game as well as some other versions. Like I did read reviews that the PlayStation 2 version rated higher because of performance. So, I think oddly enough the PS2 version might look slightly better, but it would still look pretty choppy. I think this is after all a 1999 port of an arcade game. I think the better question would be for this for this series to get pulled forward into onto current gen hardware with pc graphics and everything and i think it would be a really cool game to come out i think it would probably be unfortunately uh subject to a lot of microtransactions and uh whatever else like i think of games like diablo like i think that this game looks a lot like that and probably could be a decent competitor to it but i feel like if you put it in the hands of activision or ea it would just become a microtransaction nightmare yeah unfortunately but It looks like a really fun game, and it could be a a fun game to play with friends online, too. Like, this is just local multiplayer. Like, it would be neat to hop online with three friends and do some, whatever, raids or play through some levels, beat some bosses, and then hop off again and level up and maybe play offline
3: and then go back online. Like, it could be a really cool MMO RPG dungeon crawler kind of game. There's a lot of potential in this for the future, and that kind of leads me to my next question, uh, and that's the fact that, uh, Jedi Geek Girl, would you, what would you change about this game? If you were to bring it to kind of the present day, what would you want to change? Like, what are some cons in this game for you?
4: Oh, my goodness. I was just sitting here thinking about it, and, again, I haven't played the other games, so I don't know which ones out of the series are the best, but because I love this one so much, and I have a lot of... Nostalgia for it, I definitely would pick this one, and if it was up to me, I would do an HD version of this game, clean up the graphics. I would add, like, one or two extra characters. I would add, like, a uh, survival mode, obviously, uh, online capability, and then one extra bonus section, and then release it for, like, $15 on um, systems online.
0: It would be right at home on Switch. Like you yeah. can have everyone play with a Joy-Con. Like we haven't talked about that in a while, but this is one of those games that I feel like would be right at home on Switch. Like everyone grab a Joy-Con. You could play around, maybe around one little Switch screen or play on one Switch on a big TV, which is probably the way to go. But yeah, it'd be perfect for that console for sure. Yeah,
3: come on, Nintendo. Do, make, and 15 make bucks this. is
0: great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, 15 bucks. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> they'll probably want to price it more, but I, I'm not sure what the future of this game is ends up being because Midway, as we know, is kind of dead. It's technically owned, like it, the name is owned, but it's their their products are, are basically dead. So not sure what happens to Gauntlet and where Gauntlet goes from here. We, Like you said, Neil, we did get the 2014 one, but um, uh, I don't know how licensing works with it, and I don't know what the future of it would be in that sense.
4: I think most likely no. you probably would see it, in a, and enough time has gone by. Uh, but And it would be nice if we actually saw more of these, but like a midway GameCube collection or whatever, because with games being as large as they are now, um, one modern day game, you could put like five GameCube games on it and just be like, and so you know how back when we were young in the sixth generations, it was like the Atari classic collection. Mm-hmm. So like a Midway like a 6th Gen collection or however they would phrase it or something like that. that. I think that would probably be the most likely way we would see it again. I would definitely like to see like a remaster or an HD version, but I think the most realistic thing is in some sort of uh, collection or it being like released and cleaned up a little bit, kind of like the Star Wars games has been for like Switch.
3: That would be lovely. I, I would love to see that, like how Podracer and how the uh, the Knights of the Old Republic and everything like that were put on Switch, but we will have to see. Uh, Jedi Geek Girl, it's been amazing having you on to talk about Gauntlet, Dark Legacy. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this game before we let you go?
4: Just that. If you haven't played it, to definitely play it. Definitely play it with another person. If you have nostalgia, which you should be if you are <laughs> listening to a Nintendo GameCube Pass, uh, podcast, <laughs> For the 6th generation, and you don't mind like the graphical limitations of the 6th generation to definitely go back and play this game. It is something that if you can get absorbed into it, you could probably kill a whole day with, especially if you have friends or whatever. Uh, But that all depends if you can get past the modern lens of looking at the graphical capabilities and the kind of simplistic gameplay.
0: Like you said, I think if people are listening to this podcast, they're usually pretty good about doing that. Either they grew up with those games back in the day or they they are younger now, but they can go back and and play games without looking at them through a modern lens. So yeah, hopefully folks out there can find a copy of this game. It is kind of tricky to find. It's not in high supply and it's somewhat pricey. So yeah, if you can find it at a good price on GameCube or other hardware, I think that that you totally nailed it. Like It's a great uh, dungeon crawler game from the past that uh, can't really be replicated today.
3: Yeah, it's a great time, and uh, yeah, I definitely am going to be looking looking out for a copy of this one. Yeah, $100, a little pricey, but uh, maybe I can find the PS2 one uh, at a lot cheaper. But uh, while I'm waiting for uh, the 2027 remaster of, of Gauntlet Dark Legacy, <laughs> meal, uh I'm going to let uh, Jedi Geek Girl plug uh, what she is working on right now.
4: Yes, uh, I have returned to the world of podcasting. I Bell is back, and we are currently doing a podcast focused on the upcoming Disney TCG game called Disney Lorcana. We just released our first episode, episode 119 of Abby Bell, just this past weekend. And we are currently working on our next episode, so if you are looking forward to Disney's Lorcana, or if you just want to hear a little bit of Disney gameplay, check that out. Also, check back uh, previous episodes on Star Wars if you want to hear about Star Wars. Yes, Neil and Mike, our episode together, is in stasis. It does need <laughs> editing. It may see the light of day, but it is safe and sound. I'm probably going to do a backup, but someday it might come out. But if you are interested in reaching out to contact me or talk to me, I am in the GameCube was cool Discord and on social media at DreadIGeekil and my podcast and brand is at IUBell Destiny.
3: And yeah, we are we are frozen in carbonite uh, right now, uh, (laughs) awaiting to be on the iRebell podcast. But one day you will uh, you will hear our voices on that one. And yeah, definitely check out uh, everything uh, iJetic Geek Girl is doing over there. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to uh, welcome you back into the world of podcasting. And uh, hopefully we will get to talk again real soon.
4: I am looking forward to it. And thank you guys so much for having me on. Keep it up. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys are doing next.
0: Sweet. Thank you so much for coming on, and we hopefully will have you on on our next project. But until then, we will talk to you on the Discord, so uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
4: I will. You too.
3: See you later. Bye-bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Jedi Geek Girl, for coming on today, talking about some Gauntlet Dark Legacy. We finally got to talk about it, Neil. She was always bugging us talking about uh, (laughs) when we were going to talk about it, because uh, it's weird that we didn't. It's a really early game for the GameCube. It's a 2002 game. Of course, it's, well, it's technically, like we said, a 99 game. Mm. uh, And uh, it had gotten ported to the GameCube very early in its life cycle, so we just didn't talk about it honestly because we couldn't find a good home for it it's uh i know it, it, you know it, it fits into a lot of different things diablo is a great comparison actually i was trying to think like the other day i was like what what's a good like comparison for this game diablo 2 that's kind of what i mm-hmm. think of for sure
0: yeah whenever i see any of these dungeon crawling games i always think yep diablo but there was no diablo <laughs> game i know that that's unfair nope. like there are there it's very i'm sure every diablo fan out there was pulling their hair out being like it's nothing like diablo <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i just think it looks like diablo to me but uh, yeah. yeah the there were no Diablo games on the GameCube. So if we did have one, we probably would have tied it in with that episode. And I feel really bad because Jedi Geek Girl, I remember not long after she reached out to us wanting to be on the Star Wars episode, she mentioned this game, and that was like two years ago now. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, and we're like, yeah, we'll we'll get to it. And we're like <laughs> in our last five weeks we finally got to it.
3: So we kept her promise though. We kept her promise and we kept we we put her on it for it. So yeah. We, we definitely
0: tried to. And and one thing did, did hurt me a little bit when she uh gave the um the suggestion that uh, Gauntlet should be on a on a midway collection kind of like what atari did and Intellivision television did back in the day of all of these collections now do one for the sixth generation of games and that makes me feel so old thinking that we're as far removed from the gamecube as we were then from these games in the 80s yep, like
4: it's now 20 been, years
0: another 20 years has passed like time yep. sucks sometimes but She's, Time's a bitch. It totally is. And she's totally right. Like that you could make that type of a collection and it would probably sell just as well as some of these games did. But we do have a few more games to talk about today, Mike. So I think that it's uh, time that we move on to the last two games of the day, starting with Defender, which was released on November 6th, 2002, developed by Blitz Games. It's published by Midway. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Mobile, and eventually on Xbox 360. Rates a 6.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $25. And this is a shoot-em-up game. Um, based on the arcade game of the same name, which was a side-scrolling shooter developed by Williams Electronics, which we talked about earlier with Luigi. So uh, Williams mm-hmm. Electronics showing up for the second time today.
3: Yeah, Williams, uh, Luigi's favorite pinball maker. Uh, love to <laughs> love to see them coming up. Yeah, uh, this one was a really strange one. I remember this when we were actually doing the spreadsheet of all the uh, GameCube games, and I saw Defender on there, and I think I kind of like you know motioned to you I was like, is that? that defender like the defender yeah (laughs) and you're like yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like i i think it's the same thing and
0: and sure as hell like it's it's based on the arcade classic from from the 80s i i have played defender i think most people who have played video games have played arcade games have it's one of the most important arcade games of all time i had no Mm -hmm. idea it sold over 55,000 units back in the day making it one of the highest grossing arcade games ever uh, up there with uh, some of the Nintendo games and some of the Namco and uh, uh, Namco and Atari games as well. Uh, and it was actually developed by a pinball programmer, Eugene Jarvis. And yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the game Defender. And it has a pretty cool uh, subtitle. It's called Defender for All Mankind Outside of North America. And I do want to talk about the box art differences, Mike, between North America yeah. and Europe. So talk to me about these cases.
3: Yeah. So uh, two actually pretty good cases. Uh, It's pretty rare that we get, like, usually we get one case is much better than the other one. I, f- I feel like PAL gets the better ones usually. Usually. Uh, usually, Yeah, but uh, this one is pretty cool. The Defender one, it's got the big spaceship on it. Defender written. And it's in that font that is pretty iconic that is used on all those arcade uh, cabinets, uh, that big blocky Defender font in red. Uh, and yeah, it, looks, it looks like you're going to have a good time playing it. Uh, and uh, then we also have Defender uh, for the PAL uh, region where it's kind of like a... I'm gonna call it like an Armageddon poster kind of style yeah Uh, it uh it's got you know one person one man uh with the, the little helmet under his uh under his arm with a silhouette uh with the backdrop of this orange and yellow kind of lights in the sky and space and we have the little aliens coming for him and then he's standing on top of the defender font the big block font of course and that one is where it says for all mankind right underneath and that's a beautiful box. store. I just hate all the logos underneath. There's just too much going on, but still very nice. It's a little bit messy. This the PAL version. I will agree
0: is a bit of a. I think it's a. It's different. Like they look like different games. Actually, it's kind of hard to compare them. It's a bit of like an apples yeah. and oranges situation where our case is like an action. Looks like a clip from like a Star Wars movie or Star uh, Starship Troopers or whatever. And then the other one is a bit more of like a fantastical space opera kind of cover. But the PAL version, the, the main issue I have with it outside of the, the number of logos, you're right. Like one third of the box is just logos, which is too bad. But it has that Cabela's problem for me where I can't unsee the fact that the main character is about to get destroyed.
3: <laughs> oh, true. Okay. He's, yeah, he's yeah. standing in
0: space, assumingly, like he's looking at these aliens coming right at him. They look close. Uh, he's about to get
3: mauled. Yeah, he's about to get Darth mauled. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's over for him. But uh, yeah, Defender, um, at least the the one that I remember a lot is kind of the side scroller where you're going through uh, going through space, destroying aliens, and it's uh, there's a little kind of map up top showing how far you've gotten as well. Uh, and you're basically just destroying things. It's a relatively simple game. You got five lives, uh, and it's just kind of like asteroids or uh, Space Invaders. Funny enough, uh, we also did get a Space Invaders kind of version, uh, new version. Of in was it Space Raiders? Yep. Was that the mm-hmm. yeah? And the, but that was terrible. That game was just <laughs> barely playable. And Defender kind of did the same idea. You know, they took a classic game, they made cutscenes for it, they made a whole story around it. Uh, definitely took cues from Mass Effect and, like, Bio. Actually, Mass Effect wasn't a thing yet. So this was, like, pre-Mass Effect, now that I think about it. (laughs) Uh, Similar graphics to, kind of, like, Knights of the Old Republic. That's what I thought of at first as well. So Bioware. So I guess Mass Effect in in, in theory. But, um, yeah, it's... um, A lot of money went into this game, Neil. (laughs) I know, yeah. Like, the production value
0: behind the game, you could tell that they tried. Like, it looks like... It's more of a flight sim than like Mass Effect. This is not like an long RPG. Like this is an eight sure, hour. Yes, this is yes. an eight hour shooter. We should we should preface that yeah. uh, by saying that. But it looks kind of more like a budget Star Wars game or a Star Fox game. Like the controls aren't quite as tight as something like a Rogue Leader or a Rogue Squadron game. But you can tell that that's kind of what they were trying to do with Defender. So they definitely put some effort into it, trying to make it more of a twenty first century uh arcade game so uh, i think it's better than space raiders which if you remember we talked about that game that was more of like a third person on rails bullet hell kind of game i don't know was a bit strange but this one is a bit more of like a uh, you've got your you're only in your ship the entire time you do your flight missions and uh you defend you fight against other alien ships and everything and you kind of do that rinse wash and repeat over and over again so it does get pretty stale pretty quickly unfortunately it's just a neat piece of history uh to see midway try and bring something else up into the uh present day unfortunately it did not go well we don't see too much of defender anymore but uh fun fact about the game itself though is that uh in several of the missions there's a mad scientist named dr muto and this is a reference to the mad That's scientist too. dr muto which a yeah. uh, game with the same name which we We talked about that uh, several episodes, several years ago now, actually. (laughs) Quite a while ago now, actually, Dr. Muto. Um, Yeah. Cool game, though. Very cool game. And it was also released by Midway at roughly the same time. So they were kind of trying to do this cross-pollination, this Midway (laughs) cinematic universe, if you will, at the time. Which, cute, very cute idea. But uh, ultimately, as we know, did not save Midway from, uh, from the video game graveyard
3: the true mcu <laughs>
0: <laughs> the true mcu indeed but that's about all i have to say about defender mike uh, do you have anything else to say about it
3: before we move on to the last game of the day just that the environments honestly and the graphics of it are really really well done for a 2002 game i gotta give it a lot of credit like you said the high production value is really cool to see they just put the production value into the wrong thing <laughs> but this was the thing though at the time right is that you're trying to show it off almost as a tech demo you're trying to get show people like look look how great these graphics look look how like mm. smooth this game plays uh of course there just wasn't a lot going on uh and that's kind of where the game falters is the fact that it just it's basically uh just a flying sim and mm. not a lot is happening it's uh, it's kind of too bad
0: yeah, it's kind of too bad. Not much to go back to, unfortunately. But uh, moving on to the last game of the day, which is another arcade collection uh, game, which we'll talk about, is Intellivision Lives, or Intellivision Lives, depending on uh, your perspective. With an exclamation mark. With an exclamation point. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's uh, They're yelling it at you. So, <laughs> <laughs> television Lives! Damn it! Released on November 4th, 2004. Developed by Real Time Associates. Published by Crave. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Windows DS, and Mac OS. Rates a a seven out of 10 priced today at around $20. And this is an arcade collection of Intellivision games. And uh, for those of you that are too young to remember, cause sure as hell we are. Intellivision is a home video game console released by Mattel Electronics in 1979. And uh, Intellivision is short for Intelligent Television released in 1980 discontinued in 1990, but 3 million consoles were sold Mike in that 10 year span released in Canada. Get this for $385. Now that's 1980 money. If that was released today, adjusted for inflation, the
3: console was one thousand three hundred and forty-seven dollars. Yeah, and television was kind of the—that's like we talked about the Cadillac of games. Like this was like the Cadillac of of, mm-hmm. of of consoles, really, at this time, or really anything. Like, television was uh, the console in terms of uh, graphical capabilities, new games. I see in television games at one of our local game stores um, a lot. Uh, and because they all have, their box art is all kind of the same, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I don't love, but it's, it, it sets it apart and they're these big cases. They look like, yeah. um, like almost VHS cases, mm-hmm. really thick. And yeah, those, uh, I, I think my dad, uh, I, he didn't have television, but he definitely played television games because mm-hmm. I remember him talking uh, to me about them and being like, oh yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. But Intellivision Lives is a very solid, uh, uh collection and ports, I, I would say, uh, one of the, my favorite things. This kind of goes back to the other collections and uh, the, the Pool Paradise is uh, where it is. It's in Hal's Pizza Shop. Yes, <laughs> I love that so much. And all the arcade cabinets are there. There's all kinds of cool things on the wall. Like the pizza shop itself is really, really well done. Uh, I was a big fan of that. And you can kind of just go around and choose what arcade cabinets to start playing.
0: Yeah, I love. I love the production of this game in particular. Like I think that it's a great idea to have. Th- some kind of like an a classic arcade look i don't know again it scares me i don't want to know what they do with the midway collection of the sixth generation consoles like maybe you go to a blockbuster and you pick out a game off the shelf honestly <laughs> that's probably what they'll end up doing
3: that would be sick i know That'd and, be so and i would be so into it to just be able to explore a
0: blockbuster again but this kind of captures that feeling again like you're going to an old diner or an old restaurant or an old arcade to play these uh these cabinets so yeah the just developing like a an arcade to roam around and to go play some old Intellivision games is such a cool idea. And you can also play some Intellivision games that were actually never released, which is really cool. I think that every one of these yeah. collections should have done that. Unreleased games is so cool. Nintendo just started getting into it randomly like five or six years ago, and they only released Star Fox two. <laughs> yeah. um, they seem to be addicted to releasing that for a little while, but we got number jumble space cadet and a demo cartridge, which is not technically a game but it's a demo showcasing Intellivision games. Uh, Hypnotic Lights, Takeover, and Magic Carousel are all games that were never officially released on the Intellivision, but were released 10 or 20 years later. Um, And actually, we didn't say that at the front, but the best-selling game on, uh, or the best-selling games on the Intellivision was Las Vegas Poker and Blackjack, which sold Mm. 1.9 million copies, which is a 66% attach rate, which uh, is basically the same as uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. (laughs) <laughs> that's crazy Which actually is, yeah it's funny to think about that but yeah i love that uh, th- that 3d pizza shop that they made specifically for this game i'd love to visit that store
3: actually i'd love to visit Hal's pizza yeah it <laughs> looks like looks like a nice place but one thing we really do have to talk about because i'm sure most listeners don't know what an intellivision controller looked like mm. and an intellivision controller is a look like basically just like a remote like a TV remote, uh, it's got your 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 number pad on it, your one to nine. It's got the like basically what a phone has: clear, enter, and zero. And then it has a little wheel on the bottom, and it's a, it was attached with like a like a phone, like you know, like those those. It uh, looks like a cord- corded, corded phone. phone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was attached to the television like that, so you wouldn't lose it. You know, pretty smart. <laughs> um, and uh, and so my question when I first saw this game appear on our list, I was like, how the hell? did they make this work on a GameCube controller? Oh, know? good point. Because uh, this is, uh, you know, it's number pads and a wheel. And, um, you know, they, they did. And I got to give them a lot of credit for each game. There, It's a really nice graphic of the GameCube, GameCube controller, and it shows exactly what button on the GameCube will do what. Um, and how everything will work for it, because that's a big challenge for putting an Intellivision game on anything. Is the fact that you really have to map it uh, very particularly to the, to the controller, and it's it has to be a, a game game by game basis too, right? So a lot of times the controller will come up on the screen when num, mm. pa- num- the number pad is involved, which helps a lot. That's kind of how they got got around it. But um, yeah, that's just my first thought, at least.
0: That's really smart. Like I wouldn't even you wouldn't even think about that. But yeah, this console predates like the joystick really um yeah like it, literally <laughs> there was there was, yeah pretty much like the at-home joystick was maybe existing a little bit but not not to the point where every controller had two joysticks on it yeah that's for that's for darn sure we were far from that uh, it would have been really cool if they had like a pack-in where you got like a an Intellivision controller to plug into your console that would have yeah. been that would have been awesome and that would have <laughs> definitely attracted like our dads like your dad my dad to this type of thing like they'd be like oh I remember this from the the 80s when we were kids, like, I feel like yeah. they, they might have jumped in had there been a controller. Like, I would totally, like, buy my kid a thing if I, could, if I could show them the N64 controller. This is in an era when, like, the N64 controller never went away or, you know, <laughs> did go away. Like, nowadays, every controller never seems to die. The Intellivision controller lived and died with the Intellivision. No one wanted it back, so... It would have been a cool thing to bring back. But were there any games in this collection that stood out to you? I'm admittedly not an Intellivision guy nearly as much as I was Midway and Namco games. I I look at the list of games here, and for the most part, it's sports games that are simply labeled soccer, hockey, golf. Um, Nothing
3: really stands out to me. But were there any games here that uh, stood out to you, Mike? Mike? There's a couple that I kind of remember. Night Stalker is one that's basically Pac-Man, <laughs> uh, but it's pretty cool. Now, you have to remember these games, you know, we talked about these midway games and these Namco games that were coming out kind of the same time. And uh, Television is a little earlier. It's mostly late 70s and early 80s games. Mm. Uh, and these games are much lower quality in terms of graphics. Not gameplay. The gameplay is still fun on these, of course. But, you know, these are really just like... Uh, solid colors, like there's no, uh, uh, absolutely no depth to them whatsoever. Well, we're years whatsoever. away from
0: textures at this point.
3: Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's very, very, it's like, they're like these flash games that you would play a, uh, in school, basically, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're things that you play on miniclip.com, I guess. Yeah. I circus, know. if you will. Yeah, literally, literally math circus. Yep. I know that's an Ontario thing, as we learned, but uh, <laughs> uh, very, very, very basic, but still very fun. Um there's what I actually liked about these games is that there are things like backgammon and checkers mm-hmm. and uh, there's you know the the poker the, the, the roulette, which is really cool on this game around uh, this console. Uh, stuff like that is really fun. Uh, anything with like dealers and poker and stuff like that is really interesting because you really don't need uh, you don't need any kind of graphical capability to make it fun. You just need the uh, the, the gameplay which you have here. Uh, there is like a couple others, like the billiards game That's pretty fun as well. Uh, I just, there's something about the graphics though. Like with this that I love, it's, it's just so simple that there's like a beauty in it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. There's something quaint about it. Just simple. Like they're not trying to push the envelope too much. Some of the games barely work even. Um, (laughs) but it is funny that like how many video games from back in the day were literally just tasks or sports. And that was it. Like you had arcade, like literal casino games or you had sports or you had, uh like luigi talked about where you're a bubble cleaning a uh cleaning a sink like or you're yeah yeah. i don't know just something else of just like a random like a paper boy or it's just like things that were just like this is just a job at this point it's like there were no games like halo or mario out yet like it was it's so cool to see these early early games and like some word games in there too like there's one where you're randomly like a, a word will run across the screen at the top missing letters and you have to throw letters at it to make a word quickly yeah. Uh, before the word goes across the screen
3: kind of reminds me of WarioWare.
0: a little bit actually yeah it's a lot like WarioWare. Yeah. that's a good that's a good example i didn't think about that but yeah like you can or like just a straight up phone game like just a quick puzzle game that you play on your yeah. phone on the bus like that's a lot of what these games were but to make that into a home console game again like it's we're never going to go back to this for sure but that's why i think like we talked about with the uh, game boy Advance version of the namco museums these games are perfect as handhelds because you can pick up and play them when you're on the bus or in between meetings or something yeah commuting or in school trying to pretend like you're doing work but not Uh, that's exactly (laughs) where these games live but i'm really glad that these collections do exist though on the gamecube there are a lot of them and uh like we said at the beginning of the episode it doesn't even include the collections of zelda games that we've talked about or Mega Man games that we talked about last week so i i mean a lot of people stand on the fence of you know these games are like a waste of time and developer time to put out collections and ports and everything but I think it's a perfect way for younger generations to learn about older older games and everything. So I really hope that these collections keep coming and we start to see more different types of them and not just Namco Museum over and over again yeah. or Mega Man collections. I think other publishers and developers can definitely take a page out of uh, out of these guys uh, out of these guys book.
3: Yeah, like I love the fact like you know just my last thing on television is I love the fact that like when you click on a game, you have play, but you also have high scores, production notes, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Uh, watch bonus commercials. I, 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 you, you and I love watching commercials like some of these old ones. Yep. So that's really cool to see. You can view the box art in the like kind of a three D form, uh, and there's interviews for some of these as well, where they have programmer and developer interviews. So like, I think of these as you know the uh, like uh, you know the bonus features and stuff on DVDs. I personally love watching. The bonus features and all that kind of stuff on some movies that I really, really enjoy. And I, I, I love the fact that these games have this as well. So hopefully we'll have one day we'll be able to have these for games that we we played, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago.
0: I'm sure we will. I love those old interviews real quick before we uh, close out. I do love interviews from like the 80s, like the really old video game uh, developer yeah. interviews because... Nowadays, when you see a developer getting interviewed, they're they're media trained and they're they're charismatic, and the publishers and the companies know that before they put them on camera. But back then, yeah. they weren't. No. <laughs> so you get like the, really funny. You get the blandest, milk toast people. <laughs> like like game developers from back in the day, for the most part, were not interesting people, and no one knew to like look for the interesting people they just got whoever directed the game regardless of how interesting they were and they interviewed yep. them and they weren't good on camera so it's fun no. <laughs> it's really fun to watch stuff like that it's it's just a different time again like you just interviewed yeah. whoever it was and that was that was how they did it for sports and movies and tv shows so it just made sense to do that with video games but that's not exactly how it works anymore but Anyway, Mike, from the list of games that we've uh, talked about today and collections and everything, are there any games here that you uh, suggest the listeners pick up, and are there any that
3: are that you're looking for in particular? Yeah, there's there's a couple for sure. I mean, uh, some of these games are definitely pricier than others. Uh, I think. Getting a Midway Arcade Treasures is the first one specifically. It would be a lot of fun. There's just a lot of games there that I haven't played in in eons. Uh, I might skip the Namco Museum games just because I played Pac-Man and Dig Dug and uh, Galaga to death. I don't really need to play them anymore. Understandable. But I I like that they exist. Um, The pinball one is really cool. I think for me... like three games and the gauntlet dark legacy is also really, like there's so many to pick up but i think the three most affordable and value games that i would want to get would be pinball hall of fame uh in television lives and midway arcade treasures
0: yeah I and mean, that's that's a that's like a 100 games that you just mentioned too like exactly if you, exactly. <laughs> if you yeah. factor in all of the uh the collections yeah. that are in there so yeah i i would have to boil it down to i already own the namco museum the straight up one and i i think that's one worth owning just just to have pac-man like just the original pac-man yep. and galga on there but i bought it for five bucks at a thrift store so i wouldn't recommend Perfect. spending much more than that since you can play pac-man basically for free and anything that has a screen i'm more interested in the <laughs> uh, the pinball game just because i love pinball sims i love yeah i can't own a pinball machine unfortunately i can play them in person when i occasionally go out to a, a barcade or something but uh it'd be fun to have one at home i don't think i have uh any pinball games digitally or uh, physically on any of my consoles except Mm. for the the windows one i guess might be on my laptop i have no idea (laughs) i haven't looked at that in like 20 years i haven't looked into that in a while (laughs) um but yeah i'd love to have the i love the production value of that game you have a little pinball arcade to play it's got a hype opening uh video there too and it's got a whole bunch of different tables from the the 40s and the 50s and everything so That'd be the one that I'd pick up. It's also pretty affordable compared to some of the other games. As much as I think Gauntlet would be a cool game to pick up, neat piece of history. I think $100 is a little bit too high, and you can get similar games on the eShop. A lot of indie games do stuff like that now. And uh, Diablo, if I wanted to uh, <laughs> to play that game. But uh, do you see a future for any of these, uh, these franchises here oh today, God. Mike? We've, we've talked about a few that are definitely somewhat dead, uh, like Defender and Gauntlet. Um, but do you see a future for any of the games maybe from the collections that we haven't heard from in a
3: while? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, Pac-Man will always exist. Galaga will always exist. Uh, Dig Dug seems to be trying to exist with Dig Dug (laughs) Island. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think these are kind of just going to go through the ringer in terms of collections. I'm sure we'll get some kind of collection again at some point for some of these. Uh, The Atari collection, like we said, just came out, so... Uh, if that exists today, then I'm sure some of these others will. Uh, Mortal Kombat, obviously, is still going strong. Gauntlet yep. will probably get something in the future. It's got a big enough name behind it. Same with Rampage. Mm-hmm. That'll still exist. But some of these other ones, no. Like There's, there's no way Badlands is making it out <laughs> or hard driving or uh i don't know. Like, pole discuss- position two is yeah. coming back this fall for all your
0: consoles I yeah, think, yeah.
3: I, I think you're i think you're
0: right about gauntlet coming back i think that one has the one that's been a like it's been gone for only eight years and you're right it does have a big enough name and it has it's the closest to games that are made today that still make a lot of money like yep. space shooters don't make money anymore so i don't think a galga or a defender is going to come back in any way but The four-player multiplayer games that can easily be turned into MOBAs and online games are the ones that have the most chance. So I think in terms of a game coming back, I think Gauntlet is the one that will probably pop up again in the next maybe 10 years. But I think more of these games have a chance, honestly, of becoming movies at this point Mm, than than, than video games. Yeah, very true. Uh, Really? Like a lot. Yeah, like they're trying to make a movie about Tetris, for God's sakes. Like I think any of these games have a chance of becoming some kind of a movie or like a uh, Ready Player One style movie where they all come together in some... This movie's not going to do well. I should I should say that too. <laughs> but we'll see it in some way. But, yeah. Mike, while I'm waiting for the Ready Player One movie of Intellivision Lives, why do you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 122 of the GameCube is Cool Podcast?
3: On episode 122, Neil, we're going to be talking about movie tie-ins from 2005 to 2007, part one of that episode, because... It's going to be a long episode. We covered nine games today, Neil, and that was a lot. So, well, technically we covered like a hundred games, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, next week will be even more so uh, with the movie tie-ins. So we split it up into two episodes. We're doing movie tie-ins. We're going to do Twilight Princess after that, and then we're going to go back to movie tie-ins after that. Uh, so it's going to be a fun couple weeks, but uh, yeah, we'll be talking about some random movies that uh, got tie-ins uh, late in the GameCube because that's all that the GameCube had.
0: Yep, it was a really interesting time, like to to be a GameCube fan. Even then, like you know, we were getting random games, uh, these random Ice Age and Madagascar and Robots and Flushed Away and all these other games. That I'm I'm really excited to talk about just this time of yeah. movies, like these kids' movies that came out. You and I were both in junior high school. We were in different schools for the first time ever since we had met, basically. Um, so we weren't going to see these movies in theaters anymore. We had kind of outgrown those types of movies, but the games were still coming out and they were—they came out to varying qualities. So it's going to be really fun to talk about the, some of the games that had good parts and some of the games <laughs> that were somewhat unplayable. Yep. <laughs>
3: but, but
0: until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 121 of the GameCube of School podcast, new episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward Slash the GameCube is cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. Head on over and check out our merch store on tpublic.com. Link to the store is in the episode description. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell David Gottlieb, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. Cube. the product of what happens
3: when you think inside the box GameCube. yeah i don't know if those that windows pinball still exists oh it definitely doesn't do you think that
0: they ever made like a real version of it
3: like a windows pinball I like a literal like a physical version of the pinball i would i would honestly buy that one if i had to pick a table that would be awesome if anyone has it please let us oh someone actually asked if they've, if they've done it i don't think they have that's sad
0: mm. oh you googled it i'm sure bill gates has one